Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show. I am your host, Sage the Poet. And it gives me great pleasure. It is indeed a high honor to come again on this platform and to present to you another episode of the Exceptional Scribble Show. Tonight's episode is episode 158. And I'm going to now give the itinerary for tonight. First and foremost, very, very important and significant information you must receive is the following. The exclusive interview hour will be from 8 till 9 p.m. And we may go over the hour. It all depends on the following. We always cater to our callers on this platform. So in the event that our callers need a little more time with the Q&A question and answer forum, we will accommodate them accordingly. Now, for the topic tonight, our topic is the ritual part two, how to survive the apocalypse. And the focus word for tonight is Series. Yes, you heard me correct. S-E-R-I-E-S. And for tonight's show, we are privileged to have on the panel and platform tonight the following special guest. We have a published author. The name is Shamaya Bay. He will be in the spotlight on tonight. And here's a brief bio about the author. Shamaya Bay continues to thrive as a paramount independent researcher in the field of esoteric science. His interest in that field of study began in 1989. He's an otherworldly visionary, who enjoys telling amazing stories. His work explores the unseen foundation of secret societies, world religions, and futuristic technology. He served as a radio talk show host and television personality in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania market. Now, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I am rolling the red carpet and turning 
the spotlight. On to the feature artist on tonight's panel. Help me to welcome Shamaya Bay, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show, Shamaya. Hey, thank you, Sage. I'm glad for the intro. I'm looking forward to um, this evening's interview. And uh, whenever you're ready, just get into it. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm ready, and I know you're ready. I know you came ready. And we're going to start off um, by first focusing on the word, focus word tonight is series. Can you share with our listeners a little insight? Give them a little introductory about your book series entitled The Ritual. Yeah, thank you very much. The Ritual is about um, mystical New Orleans with a supernatural twist. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's about basically um, black folks using um, magic uh, or forced to use magic to uh, solve their problems. So um, that's the, a, a real brief uh what do you call it, like a, a little outline on what people can expect? This basically mystical New Orleans with the supernatural twist and um, the right to be able to use magic or divine science to um, help solve their problems. I was coming from the perspective that um, using guns and, and, and weapons and airplanes and nuclear things, that's something that's not accessible to us. So therefore, um, my ideology was going back to old school, so to speak, like thousands of years when things were uh, worked well for our particular community. So that's why I wanted to um, mix it in a modern setting, but using an ancient science that um, people that are into this type of um, knowledge or wisdom could really appreciate. Yes, yes, I agree. And, of course, we know there's often a stigma attached uh, to the use of words um, relating to magic. Um, oh, yeah, most definitely. Well, that, that makes sense when you have um, a counterculture, you have a group of people that may consider you an enemy, so therefore propaganda and words would steer you away. Mm. So automatically, our cultural conditions, when you hear the word magic, um, you automatically think the devil or shaitan, so you automatically mm. think it's evil, so that's an instant program. So therefore, it will keep people from using a, a gift. It's kind of like a hammer. Um, you can use a hammer to um, a hammer and nail to build a home, or you can use a hammer to uh, really devastate your opponent, and then now you're catching the case. Mm. So, so, that, so the idea of using the word magic, I know for maybe some certain groups of people, they may feel more comfortable if you say the word discernment. Uh, but in this particular case, I wanted to say what it was, so and that's why I labeled it um, the way that I did. Excellent. Thanks for that full answer given. I'm sure our listeners appreciate you for being as uh, detailed as you are in answering the questions. My next question is in regards to the research involved, how extensive was that process? Um, for me, it was it was pretty good. It was actually fun. It was an exploratory. After a while, after writing it, um, as uh, well, can't say it's weird, but it's real interesting. I felt like I was being led to certain um, storylines or different things that happened historically that I was not even aware of. 
Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of that, like, for, for example, like in the second book, um, I wasn't aware about the history of the Green Book. And for some of your listeners who right. may not be familiar with that, um, during the time, during the era of Jim Crow in, in, the, uh, in the Americas, in, the, in, America, in North America, um, um, black people had difficulty traveling throughout the South up into the North, into the North as well as um, high as Chicago or New York. So an individual by the name of Mr. Green, who happened to be a mailman, I believe in um, the early 30s, I felt as though um, that the people from our community needed to be, to be protected. So therefore, he put, a, to put together a book where traveling on a road where um, there would be businesses that were amenable to uh, black people traveling and with towns. At, at one time, they had something called sundown towns. So that, mean, that meant that during certain periods, of uh, once the sun went down, that people of a melanated um, hue weren't allowed in the town, so therefore they had to go be regulated to their particular quarters or whatever part of the country that they were in. And if they were caught in a town, a sundown town, um, after when the sun went down, it was possible they may end up being lynched or brutalized or um, uh, some other uh, devastating act, um, act upon them. So almost a daily life of domestic terrorism uh, from their viewpoint or from our people's viewpoint. So that was very interesting. I was not familiar with the Green Book, and once I read it, it was very interesting about what gas stations that you can go to, what eateries, and even what restaurants that you could use, and you can feel safe. And um, it wasn't until um, the early 70s, right after the Civil Rights era, that the Green Book um, went out of fashion, so to speak. So that particular history was fascinating to me. That's important information as well. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know a lot of people are most familiar with um, Dutch terminology of safe houses and how during the time when people of color had to travel through um, areas that were not uh, yet desegregated, um, they had to be able to know where safe houses were located or what areas were classified as safety zones or safe havens where they could travel safely and would not have to live in in fear of the threat of sudden danger such as being lynched. Right, right, exactly. But so that, that that type of uh yeah, that type of message was either signaled by uh, maybe a quilt hanging out um on the um clothesline or a candle on the window or something Absolutely. of that nature. Right. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Amazing. Um, wonderful. I'm um, sure a lot of people are very um, intrigued just knowing that much of history has been incorporated in the uh, second book about the Green Book. Um, and just curious, did you find that you were able to access people, maybe in that town or someone with ancestors and relatives uh, yeah, that, yeah, definitely. I had, had matter of fact, I had um, a few relatives. Well, I still have them. I'm still, they're still on the side of life that um, were from the South, and they would talk about it was very difficult for them to. Uh, they wouldn't stop on the road. They would pack their meals and the um, brown paper bag it, make sure they have enough, and maybe even had came to relieving themselves. They would have a, a mason jar if they couldn't go on the side of the road and things of that nature. So. At one particular time, it was extremely challenging um, to uh, to be in the South, or mm-hmm. the North as well. Yeah, you know. Yes, indeed, I agree with that. 
Thank you again. I mean, um, to write a book that is one that's uh, the genre, it's it's written um, under the genre of, is it urban fantasy? Yeah, it would be urban fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. And it has a twist of uh, sci-fi in it as well. Right, with sci-fi. And then for it to also have historic references, I think that you did a lot. That required a lot of time, study, effort on your part. Can you share with everyone um, when exactly you first started on the composition writing process of this? Yeah, and Or how much time it did entail for you to have a complete manuscript? Um, um, real, it realistically took me about maybe three and a half months. I started in late May, and I completed it in um, mid-August. Was it May, June, July, August? But um, and but the the actual editing part took a little bit longer. Um, actually, it's at the editor. I've been at the editor for a minute, um, waiting for my second proof. I should have it in my hand by tomorrow. So the writing part and the research part um, wasn't um, didn't take me very long. Um, just the editing phase, um, just cleaning up you know, some grammatical issues and things of that nature, and making sure everything was uh, historically accurate. That that was one of the main things that. Um, because my storyline sounds, even though it's fiction, sounds so far out there, um, the editor wanted to make sure that the historical information was um, accurate and that people could put their hands on it, and which it showed and proved that it can. And that's what made it even more, you know, they say um, truth is stranger than fiction. And once you read it and get involved with it, you'll definitely find that um, this story will take you on a roller coaster, so to speak. Mm. I like that. Um, I think... With regards to what makes a novel um, intriguing, what about a novel captivates uh, its audience, it's when you are finding yourself experiencing that roller coaster um, effect, you know, with the climax, the conflict, and then the resolution, and how it all kind of just meshes together and... um, you're up and then you're down and then you're somewhere in between where there's a happy medium. I think all of those ingredients are very essential to the overall success of a novel. Can you share about when, um, during the writing process of your manuscript, when you knew that your book was meant to be a series? When exactly did that happen for you? Was it at the very beginning when you first started composing the manuscript, or did it come after book one, or during the time you were still finalizing book one, and you realized this is a series; it's meant to be a trilogy. What you know? Can you? Yeah. To answer your question, that's a very good question. At the first book, after the first book, and um, I got a lot of feedback on it. Actually, it was just going to be like a one and done. Mm-hmm. And. Um, a lot of the um, the readers and fans are like, this cannot be a one and done. You have to um, continue. Oh. And, and, and yeah, and a few people were teasing me, saying this. You actually got maybe a four and five book book in you. I said at least at the very least I could do a, a trilogy. So um, like I was telling mm-hmm. you off mic that um, I'm currently working on the third novel now, even though the second um, book is in the process of um, uh, hitting Amazon. Hopefully within a month from from this conversation, and. Um, 
but um, the third one is in, the, in writing. But to answer your question, it was after the, the after the first book and a lot of feedback that I was receiving. Like, okay. uh, once again, it can't be a one and done. You, you, you have to put out more uh, because people felt as though the, fan, uh, the fans and once the collaborators, but the people that really enjoyed the story felt as though that they were a part of the journey and they want to find out what's next on the ride for um, the character Paradise. Mm. My next question um, would be, this what character in your book series do you feel you most resemble that's a very good question that's a very good question um i guess i would say um paradise's um great-grandfather uh cicero montoyer okay yeah and the reason i'm saying that even though he's in the uh, spirit plane in the book Mm-hmm. She had the she had the ability to see well she had she knows the secret to calling him back periodically. So what I mean by that, um her their family secret is, is basically communing with um the ancestors and her secret is so so sacred that she has the ability with the science that she learned from her grandmother to actually see him in physical form. He wouldn't be solid but more like a vapor. And the reason I, I chose him as someone I can maybe um, closely identify because he had the ability to remember past lives, and so I thought that yeah, so I thought that was extremely fascinating, and his linkage to um, uh, ancient Kemet and even um, the land of Omdal, which was uh, where Tahuti reigned. Mm. And so, so mm. that thing that really fascinated me the way the storyline went. So that was a very good question. Um, I've never been asked that particular question. So I, uh, kudos to you for that one. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, now, in reference to uh, just the plot, I guess, in general, do you feel that the story literally had a life of its own meaning? Your um, choice of direction and, and the course that you wanted to take, you found as you began writing that the story itself dictated more so to you how it should be written. Would you yeah, say that point. happened for you? Oh, yeah, most definitely. The story definitely dictated the way it wanted to go. But when I um, I pre-planned the, a story where there are certain um, features or plots that I actually wanted, I just didn't know how they would fit in the storyline. And as I started writing, um, I have a habit of having, like, post-it notes or uh, napkins. And, and just basically, for, for this example here, if I say, like, Langley, Virginia, and I would write that there, but not showing, not knowing where that would fit in the storyline. And as the story would write, the characters pretty much, with their dialogue and the uh, interactions that they're having with one another, they kind of pull on, this will be very good for this example. Langley, Virginia, talking about that would go very good in this particular section. So I found uh, maybe 85 to 90% of the writing went that way. Um, the, the character characters have been so intimate um, in, inside of my mind that they were, like I said, um, almost like I'm dictating or scribe, um, uh, transcribing their storyline. Oh, okay. So would you say that um, you had help? You know how some writers uh, have a ghost writer? Would you <laughs> claim that? I, think I, I definitely think I had a, I had a muse or a few muse, okay. muses. Yeah, yeah, assisted me. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing like, nothing woo-woo, but like I said, um, after a while, you being a writer, so and the other writers that are listening can yes. appreciate the fact that after a period of time, you get into a zone, 
And like I said, I, I really felt as though at, at particular junctions, um, uh, junctions in the book that uh, mm. definitely had some unseen assistance and right, putting certain storylines right, together. Yes. Very good, very good answer, and I like the way you answer that. Because sometimes, um, you know, I don't ask that question to everybody, but because of what I know your background is, I felt comfortable ask you. <laughs> okay, yeah, very good. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Um, my next question would be, what chapter would you say was the most challenging or what section or segment of the novel, uh, and, and we're referring to book two, would you say was the most challenging aspect to write? What was the most challenging aspect to write? Um, I think it, which required a little bit more research on my part was maybe the uh, the horn the horn of Gabriel, like Gabriel the Archangel Gabriel. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and uh, for those who may not be familiar with it, yeah, feel free to elaborate. Yeah, it's a it's alleged that um, um, in Mecca, well, not outside of Mecca, I put it away in, in in the Middle East, there was an object that was uncovered, and it was would be classified as a weapon of mass destruction from an ancient period of time. And according mm. to the and according to the legend, uh, it was recovered. Um, it went from Saudi Arabia uh, via Turkey, and then mm. uh, Russia got involved. And um, according to the lore, that um, the Russian Navy had uh, had taken it uh, to Antarctica uh, to preserve it. And so that would probably be one of the tracing down that storyline and that plot line um, was very interesting to me. And then to find out that. Um, uh, What's his name? Uh, John Kerry, not John Kerry, but um, uh, one of the many politicians. Um, oh. Even uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think Buzz Aldrin, yeah, yeah, Kane, yeah. They they've um, visited within uh, even uh, Newt Gingrich. They've made a visitation English. to uh, Antarctica, uh, Antarctica within the past uh, a few months. So mm. obviously there's something, some some type of object or something down right. there that's, or lost civilization has been uncovered, right? Mm-hmm. Men of that caliber to want to go. Well, right, exactly. Yeah, especially when um, uh, the Russian, the, one of their top uh, clergymen, um, Krill, K R I L L, he's like the equivalent of um, the the Catholic Pope uh, from the Russian Orthodox, and he paid a bit visit, and that was not too long ago, within the last couple of months or whatever. So mm-hmm. people of that stature going there, there's obviously something else uh, going on um, that people that go to work every day or take their child care or just trying to put food on the table or unaware that's happening around us in our world. Yes, thanks for sharing that. Um, I know we like to stay in the know on this show. We like to know about what's happening in the world. We like to stay informed about global news and, and current events. So, uh, thank you for um, satisfying our appetite for that so, uh, tonight with the information you just shared. And for the listening audience, I just want to encourage you, if you're not taking notes, uh, now's the time uh, to take notes because this information is not going to be uh, shared on every radio show's platform. And you know we have set a certain standard, and this is something that we condone and we promote. So um, you're privileged tonight, as I said at the beginning, we're privileged 
do have with us as our special guest, Shamaya Bay. He is a published author, and again, he has a book series entitled The Ritual. The first one was The Ritual, How to Capture a Soul, and this is the second one, part two, um, entitled How to Survive the Apocalypse. And you don't want to miss what's going to happen next. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a brief uh, commercial break, and we'll be back, and we will continue this interview with Shamaya Bay when we return. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, 
Welcome back, welcome back. And, of course, that song was by the musical iconic legend himself, Stevie Wonder, If It's Magic, ladies and gentlemen. And what I will say is the following. Now we're going to, we're going to continue the exclusive interview hour, and I am welcoming our special guest, Shamaya Bay back to the panel. Welcome back, Shamaya. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, it's very interesting you played Stevie. I was um so that's an interesting selection. Um mm-hmm. is it magic? Yeah, that's right on time. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's right on time, yeah. And also I had um because I'm traveling, so I don't know if you can hear the road noise, but it had like a haunting feel to it. Not in a spooky way, but just like a um make you reminisce, go back in time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in that mode too with that song, the words, you know, the lyrics, right? And the sound, you know, even with that harp at the beginning playing, it just gave it more of that celestial, um, otherworldly type <laughs> feel. Yeah, you definitely but, had an otherworldly type yeah, feel. And then it brought us back in home, you know, down, you know, and on this terrain again. Um, right. Yeah, that song. And I was thinking, I said, wait a minute. I said, now, I always like to match a song with what the topic is. And that was a song. It was like that. Yeah, that was a, that was a very, very good match you put. <laughs> thanks, you definitely set, you definitely, you definitely set yeah. the mood. Wow. Thanks. I yeah. really appreciate that feedback. Um, it's always good to get confirmation because you want to know that you're on that right. Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely was on the right vibe. You was on the uh, on the wavelength. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, definitely was on the wavelength. So whoever's still riding with it, stay still in it too. Oh, okay. Hey, I know that's right. I know that's right because I felt that too. Yes, indeed. Well, um, again, uh, how to survive the apocalypse um, and what is exposed because you know so much you expose in your work. Um, even in the brief, the reading of the brief bio, I shared about how um, you expose a lot, even in reference to secret societies, um, world religion, and many things um, that are a, a mystery to so many. Um, right. In reference to exposing those things that are hidden, knowledge to some, what do you tend to do to kind of prepare yourself? Um, And now I'm I'm going into like spiritual warfare, like to kind of shield yourself from any um, retaliation that will come from a sender of a source that doesn't want that truth to be exposed or revealed or or um, common place knowledge for everyone. How do you well, prepare yourself? Um, I definitely do a lot of uh, um, prayer meditation and um, some things that um, not really to be discussed in public. Okay. Um, but I'm definitely aware that anytime you want to bring out righteousness or, or the light, so to speak, that regardless of what what type of uh, spiritual belief you, you, you believe in, you, you have to know that there's going to be some opposition coming towards your way. Yes. But that, should, that shouldn't deter you from going forward with your mission. Okay. And um, it's really interesting. I came across um, 
believe it or not, was in a fortune cookie where it says you can't be a good navigator unless you're um, on rough seas. So, mm. oh my, yes, right. So, 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 taking that that particular theme, knowing any time that you, um, even when you're just praying, you don't have to do anything like um, spiritual, doing rituals and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. It's just everyday life, you know, you're going to be met with challenges. Just paying bills sometimes, sometimes your your pockets are a little tighter than other days, or um, sometimes you're you're arguing with your mate. And actually, y'all started out in the morning very well, and it came home and something um, disturbed the the other party. It might have disturbed you, and both you, you two are arguing. Have no reason, don't even know why you're arguing over over the cap on the toothpaste not, not being on. And mm-hmm. so, you always have unseen forces that are going to try to disturb the harmony, the peace and harmony between righteous people. So that's to be expected. But once again, that's not an excuse for not um, doing what you've been put on the earth plane to do. We're all here to do something greater than what we currently do in our nine-to-five. Um, with special beings, but many people go from the cradle to the grave and never share that, expose that to the world. Mm, wow, you said so much in in your answer given, and um, I commend you on being uh, straightforward with the truth and saying, you know, we all have to stay alert and we need to do those things that are necessary for those that believe in the power of prayer you pray for those that believe in the power of meditation you meditate but you keep yourself lifted so that you're constantly in tune with the higher frequencies knowing those there are some lower frequencies that will try and discourage you when you're about doing something beneficial for the sake of all of humanity. Because I think what when you're talking about exposing things that are secret, that's um, the greater good because that's going to benefit more than just yourself, your family, your neighborhood, um, your immediate family or immediate community. That's something that impacts the community of the world. And... Uh, there's a certain quote that I found on your um, webpage, and the quote stood out so boldly that I have to repeat it and ask you if you can just elaborate on its meaning. And the quote is as follows, because I think it's so significant, a quote. Um, You're powerless without your tools. <laughs> yeah, that 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 yeah, that a mentor of a uh, mine would would say that a lot. Mm-hmm. And a a tool um, now this is definitely going to cause one to elevate their consciousness. Um, a tool in this uh, respective would be considered to be a talisman or an amulet, okay. and they're made by special people. And it's like a, a police officer. It would be just a good analogy. A police officer. Uh, when he's put it, puts on his uniform, under his um, uniform, he's wearing uh, a bulletproof vest, or he should be wearing one. And therefore, that particular vest is serving as a physical protection in the event that he's, uh, um, someone is shooting a bullet um, at him. Um, when it comes to spiritual work, obviously this is not for people that don't believe in things of this nature, but there are a whole lot of people that believe 
um, say in the third eye, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And for people that know what to do, they have certain al- amulets and talismans. Even um, Barack Obama in a Time Magazine article, you can Google that, at one time when he uh, first ran, in, I think it was in, um, in his first inauguration, they did an article about all the lucky charms that he had. And once again, lucky charms, they don't mean anything, they don't do anything, but the power of belief and then the power of knowing and then knowing the individuals that have the ability to make these uh, supernatural bulletproof vests, mm-hmm. that, makes all, that makes all the difference. Um, right now, number 45 is in office, and it's alleged that he has some magical um, things with him for um, the way that he appears to carry on, but still is able to move forward. So right. therefore, therefore, even if one does not believe that, one has to see that this person has some type of lucky mojo with them to be able to do and say whatever they want um, without any um, uh, uh, impunity, with doing it with impunity, rather. Mm-hmm. Well stated, well said. Um, which leads me to my next question. It is in regards to the blog or the yes. book. And I noted that um, you have, there's this one particular article um, entitled Trump the Selected President. And you actually share some um, sources which are documented as having predicted that Donald Trump would be the winner of the U.S. presidency um, on November 9, 2016. And um, can you share? Um, in reference to uh, those sources that you were able to discover, um, which did document him as president, and also um, there was the one, uh, I believe, article in The Economist where they had actual pictures on the front cover um, using, like, a, a Trump tarot. Uh, debt of cards. Right, right, exactly. Now, now that's fascinating, right there. It tells that whole storyline that's laid out there. Mm-hmm. So obviously, even though once again, uh, normal people, so-called normal people, they would never um, believe such things. But obviously, uh, even if it was put there in jest, they were still lining up a story for one to, uh, mm-hmm. if, if they know how to read the cards, to see what's planned out or laid out for. Um, not only America, but the world um, at whole. Yes. And I even noted there was the, I believe it's a card game, and they had, there was a... Oh, the Illuminati card, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Enough is enough, and it showed, it was the same demeanor, demeanor. image, the card, shows a picture of the same demeanor. And I just found that very compelling and uh, what a profound... Uh, you know, fact to be able to discover how apparently it it reveals that there is this secret uh, society that they already knew what we now see and know, which is now a a reality. True, definitely. Um, I guess we would be naive to believe that there weren't um, unseen forces and people that are we would never know that kind of move the, the the chess pieces on the board, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, I now in reference to this type of um revelatory uh um work. Now this falls under could you share exactly what this is that you were able to uh do in in the form of the blog for the book the ritual as far as just exposing how these are actual um uh sources that are exposing a lot of hidden knowledge or hidden truth and um if we're awake or aware we can see the court the um the points the court coordinates or points uh, of the schema that are already pre-designed and and um the layout already made of what is to come and if we pay attention and follow it's like the a map um we'll know what's coming or what's forthcoming. And you kind of on that. Oh, yeah, without question. Um, once again, uh, we should not be naive um, to know that there are think tanks that are thinking 70 years in the future, 200 years in the future for particular communities or groups. So, therefore, there's definitely a plan laid out there. Mm-hmm. And if you know where to look or if they, those particular people um, that are doing the planning want um, the public, so to speak, to know about to help perpetuate it. They'll put certain means and certain things out there, so people like myself and others will will jump on it, so to speak, and um, help carry it, carry it, basically carry it on for them. So uh, once again, there are definitely plans, plans that I have no idea. And obviously, if if I know if I know that um, that public information, you can imagine what's really not being spoken. Um, that is in store for the world, I'll put it that way. Yes, yes, yeah. I tell you, we're definitely on the brink of, I would like to use the title of your book if uh, you don't mind that. Um, we are definitely on the brink of the, the apocalypse. And as your book number two so well uh, expresses, how to survive the apocalypse should become our um, morning meditation, uh, noonday meditation, and prayer and evening meditation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. And um, the difference when I um, put the apocalypse there, it's a Greek word, but I, I wanted it to be more than just a modern terminology when people hear apocalypse you automatically think world war three the end of the world right and the end of life itself but i want to use the root of it and it meant the uh, the turning point or the disclosure of knowledge of revelation so actually i was writing it from that standpoint but i knew uh, from a modern perspective um the automatic trigger would be like it's the end of the world but the actual meaning uh, that i was going for in the book was actually the uh, the turning point or the uh, the revelation of knowledge Mm. The revelation of ours, that's it. I have to say, uh, Shamaya Bay, a lot of people write books and they're gifted writers, but they're not worldly visionary, such as yourself. And what 
you are providing the world with via your books is much to be considered. It is insight, um, hindsight plus foresight, and it's a glimpse of what the next millennial millennium is the off us. That's cutting edge. That's something that not every writer is doing. A lot of times you get authors that are fixated within a certain era, and when you read their work, that's where you go. That's where it takes you. That's where you feel you kind of feel contrived, like you're in the 80s when you read this particular novel, and you're stuck there. Right. And it's, it's, it's helping you to see the next era or the next decade and how um, things will be. So to kind of get your mind in gear um, as to, well, this is how you need to start thinking now because in the next decade, it's going to be so different that this type of thought process has to end and transcend. Like your book oh. does that. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for that observation. Um, once you get the part, the reader gets involved with it. You are actually involved. Um, like I said, I, I definitely had some um, divine assistance of putting it together for the, the people that have had the opportunity to, to read it before as uh, it's actually out in the public. Um, not knowing one another, um, those individuals all came back and said that. You are definitely part of the journey. It's almost as if you're in you're in the storyline with, um, with the characters, and um, you have a lot of deja vu moments. Like, mm-hmm. how would you know that if you're not if I'm not as old as uh, some of the readers that, that read the book, as far as chronologically? Um, how would he know this event uh, took place with me? You know, um, so which is really interesting. Yeah. And can you uh, share with everyone uh, about the Rituals Companion book and why it's such a necessary reference book and guide to own when reading the book series? Can you please share that information? Sure. Sure. The reason I, um, I put the Companion book because a lot of my storyline is so fantastical <laughs> that it's um, – maybe challenging for people that are not into the weird and strange things. So um, the companion book provides pictures and um, reference sources um, that, you know, you just normally don't include in a novel, but this allows individuals to, to research the, the reference source and they can look on their own for a particular book or a particular site and see the photographs that go along with the storyline. Mm. Yes, yes. Thank you. And, um, there was a specific ritual in in the book uh, that uh, you you provide some information on your website about, and it's called the egg ritual. And I'm uh, inquiring for you to give some information about it now because we're um, now approaching uh, the Easter holiday for those that. Um, or Americans, you know, it's a holiday that's acknowledged national, uh, a national holiday here. And I'm sure also in other cultures in other countries. And um, the egg is a symbol 
that is highly regarded during that time. So if you can touch on the egg ritual and its significance, that would be yeah. most definitely the, the um the egg ritual that was in the in the book. Um for those that have never participated in not like you go on Easter egg hunting and finding eggs in the in the bush or whatever, but according to the storyline and how it's written, the, the eggs are symbolic of life and the ability of like planting a seed in the um in, in the water or the ocean so to speak. Um like I said, in, in the book, I didn't put everything that goes along with the, the storyline, but it's something that ancients used to use to um, help open up the gateway, so to speak, that allow good luck to or uh, good fortune to come their way. Thank you for giving that information to Maya. Oh, you're welcome. Like yeah. I, once, once again, everything that... Um, in the book, like it's like a fact-based fiction, I put it that way. And when it comes to like real rituals, or uh, um, the people that really know what they're doing, they would never really write it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, things that would always go from a um, from an elder from from ear to mouth. It wouldn't be written down for the for the public or the profane, so to speak, to to get a hold of. That's a great. I hear you. Yes, indeed. We have to respect things that are sacred. Uh, to our listening audience. So this book, I would have to say, will fall um, in that order. Wouldn't you suggest that it also would be regarded as sacred text? Um, I, I, that's a, a high compliment. Um, I think there's some sections in there that, that could be um, listed in that category, and mm-hmm. then other parts would be um, more entertaining. But um, I thank you for that 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 compliment. Not quite sure how to to receive it at the moment, but um, I, I receive that. Um, I definitely definitely say that for those that um, like to read, like great storylines, and you, you will have a, you will have your matrix moment. And what I mean by that, uh, this is um, not a blue a blue pill um, book, so to speak. What I mean by that, a blue pill meaning that you continue to live. Um, like a cradle grave the way you're currently doing. But once you get involved with it, you're definitely um, voluntarily taking a red pill, meaning that your eyes will be open to other realities that um, you may or may not be aware of. Mm. Um, My next question would be in reference to your interest in the field of esoteric science. Beginning in 1989, can you share a little about what experience um, served as the turning point for you to go in the direction you now take? No, that's a that's a real easy, yeah that's a real easy one. Um, uh, one evening, um, uh, a relative of mine, uh, we were in Jersey, and you know when you see in the sky, like Philly is a little challenging because of the. Um, the light pollution, so sometimes it's difficult to see the stars. Mm-hmm. The part of Jersey that we were in, uh, our relative, actually my cousin, he was like, the star is moving. And you know how high stars are. I said, well, stars don't move. He was like, well, that one's moving. And I and I, I was being funny at the time. I said, well, if uh, I said if it's moving, I said, uh, if you can hear me, my, Matt, once again, you know how high stars are. I said, if you can hear me, move to the center of the street. And believe it or not, the star... And, mm. and the star, it, it, it went from um, 
like the northeast and it came to the center. So, Matt, if you were looking straight and um, to your right, this, the, the distance where the, where the star was in the sky, and then it floated to the center of the street, and mm-hmm. then it started floating towards us. And uh, my cousin was like, I think we better get on the grass. I was like, like, like that's going to make a difference, you know, kind of be funny. Mm-hmm. And then it was at the height of um, of the trees, like a tall tree. And next thing you know, if you have memory, um, a 4th of July sparkler. You know how the sparklers in 4th of July uh-huh. sparkle? So it sparkled, it sparkled like 4th of July sparkler. And both he and I, we shielded our eyes. And then it wasn't any sound or anything. And once the, the, the luminescence um, dampened, uh, it was like a, a triangle-shaped craft. It was like glass. And the, the color was, the, it had like six lights on the bottom. They were yellow. And it was like almost like a Wonder Woman type ship, but it was like, but it was made out of glass. We couldn't see what was in it, and whatever was inside of it, um, they realized that we had enough visual to take um, to take notice of it. And then the sky opened up, and then it just floated, and then it collapsed behind it with no sound or whatever. So that was kind of like a turning point that I was like, oh, it's more. Even though I knew it was more in the world, but that was mm. an actual um, event that. Um, shape like oh this is something that's extremely interesting to me and uh, that I need to know more mm, okay daring um, I think I and most people have these experiences which they know this is definitely paranormal yeah yeah beyond the normal yes yeah but for some reason or another like you shared earlier on We've been programmed and conditioned to dismiss a lot of these experiences. Yeah, you end up getting my imagination, <laughs> or you know, um, that you know, to try to come up with an explanation. Thing well, well, I'm like, well, you would need. You, well, in our particular society doesn't um, openly welcome that type of um, openness and, and, and talking. So therefore, most people are worried about their reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're worried about being ridiculed. They're being they're worried about being ostracized, and just worried about people just thinking they're straight up nothing. They don't want to be. So most people don't deal with that. Um, I'm pretty sure at least uh, um, a good portion of your audience has had some type of um, experience that that's yeah. outside of uh, outside of the norm that they may never share with anyone. Mm-hmm. I like how you word it on your uh, webpage. You say, have you ever had a mystical experience? <laughs> right, right, like exactly, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, most, and for the most part, um, um, people have had some mystical encounter. And once again, unless they really felt comfortable with the person they're sharing it with, they pretty much keep it to themselves. Yeah, so true. Can you share with our listeners about, it's called Synchro mysticism because I'm sure a lot of people may have heard of it don't know much about it because they haven't dedicated the time to studying about can you share what it is and give an example for us okay synchro mysticism um we'll go with the mysticism basically you know that that may or may not be aware basically dealing with the mystery Mm-hmm. Um, I quite know how this coming in synchro come from this uh, synchron- uh, synchronicity or synchronicity. How two events, two um, events occur at the same time that, in essence, you know that should. How is that happening? For example, if you're um, listening to the radio 
and the singer on the radio is talking about um, blackbirds flying by, and then you're riding in the car and a blackbird flies by. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a synchronistic event. Like how, like how is this happening? How is this possible? So I had a lot of those synchromistic uh, events, even when writing the book. Um, full disclosure, I was a little—I uh, don't know why I didn't do it, but I had my character. Her name is um, her nickname is Paradise, but her um, her government name will be Isabella Rosemary Montoyer. And one evening when I was writing the book, um, I received a phone call uh, from someone named uh, Paradise Rosemary. But I don't know any Paradise Rosemary in in the, the real world, or at least this world that we're existing in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I received that call twice, and um, so that was a synchromistic uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Another one in the in the first book where I wrote about um, a, a balloon ritual that um, Paradise and her grandmother did when she was a little girl. And then something when I wrote that passage, something told me to go up, get up, and go look at uh, the newspaper. And um, I turned to the uh, comic section, and there was a um, a little angel uh, cartoon, and he was um, giving uh, the, the character another character cartoon a balloon um, that he released into the air. So that was another. Uh, if people so choose, they can go on the website and um, under the um, author's page and see some of those uh, synchromistic uh, experiences. Yes, yes. I'm a firm believer that these things happen. I like to refer to them as echoes. Like universe, anything that's highly significant. I know some people um, who have even had the same dream twice. And maybe the first time they remember some parts of it, but the second time they could remember more details when sharing about it with someone. So I do believe in that sort of thing. Um, or two people can have the same dream and live in two different parts of the world and not, uh, quote-unquote, be relative to each other by any other um, fact other than they both had the same dream on the same night. Yeah, so what, what does that tell you? That, that tells you that um, either both of them were crazy or there's more than this, um, to this reality and than this physical world. Right. And there's, like, this saying, I've heard it said in, like, a religious setting or environment, where they say, out of the mouth of two, three, uh, oh, just let every, and let every word be confirmed or let every word be established. Right, right. Mm-hmm. To, in, to in other words, say, um, if two people are saying it, then it must be true. Or if three people said it or saw it, then it must be true. Right, right, exactly. Especially if they're not, um, they didn't know any, each other, but they right. all had the same, the same dream experience. So obviously they met up somewhere. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So for you to have these documented events to occur, that was enough for you to know that this book or this book series, a lot more, um, it's more to it. Than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say that it's more than just an entertaining book. It, yeah, it definitely has some like um, a lot more. Yes, some extra feel to it. Mhm. Um, I was very intrigued looking at the photos, and there was just one photo in particular, and I'm going to have to um, refer to one of my um, friend's aunts. Um, 
there's this one photo, and the woman in the center, she has like a light-colored uh, top on. It's three women in the picture, and it looks like almost it could be three generations. Okay, yes, I know what you're talking about now. Uh, the one in the center, I don't know. I'm, I just felt so akin. It was like seeing a, a relative. So I'm definitely um, having ancestors in this area and who migrated uh, to the Carolinas, Virginia, um, and so forth. And knowing my ancestry, I'm going to look and refer to some of my older um, aunts and, and see about some photos because I just feel like this kinship there. I said, you know, things, our DNA always testifies of what's true about us. I said, That's true. There's something, something, it's something I have to do with some research myself. So yeah, but I wanted to just let you know that. So, so the book is calling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you having one of those experiences too, then? Mm-hmm. See now that go, that that goes back to the very beginning when I said that individuals that that read the book, there's something in it that uh, speaks to them, and it and it it, it wakes something up in you. Like you said, you had experience with the uh, the three women, and the one in the center resonates with you. Yeah. So from from, yeah. from, from, from that standpoint, uh, um, I would say that would serve as like prima facie evidence that the, it, it does have a mystical quality to it, and um, mm-hmm. um, something that whoever you are, whatever station or walk of life you're in, there's going to be a part of you that's going to be part of your soul. Right. That think yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes. definitely going to be touched. Mm. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. Are you uh, welcome? Yeah, this is good. This is good. Um, I know it's now nine oh two. So what I'm going to ask you to do, to Maya Bay, and then I see Queen Zipporah has now joined the call. I'm going to ask you, Shamaya, to share your contact information. Also share. Okay how they can purchase your book, and then I'm going to um, turn it over to the co-host of the Exceptional School Show, Queen Zipporah. If she has anything that she would like to share or any questions for you, she will do so at that time. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, Welcome. You can, I could be, um, the easiest way to get me would be to go to the ritualbook.com, the ritualbook.com. And if someone actually wanted to um, send me an email, they can send it to the ritual TV show okay. at gmail.com. So that's the ritual TV show at gmail.com. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And Queen Zipporah, welcome to the panel of the Exceptional Scribble Show on Tuesday, April the 11th. And if you have any questions you'd like to direct to our special guest and feature artist in the spotlight, Shamaya Bay, feel welcome to do so. The mic is in your hand. All right. Thank you, Queen Fran. And how is everyone tonight? All is well, Queen Sephora. Fine. Thanks. All right. That's good because uh, I was listening to you all and uh, Shamaya was talking about you know, uh, especially with the ancestry, 
Mm-hmm. And I have to agree because I don't know it's the spooky connection because mm-hmm. there's an article it's a, I'm planning to read tonight which is titled "A Dark Part of Empathic People That You Rarely See." Mm-hmm. And besides that, it seems to like have bothered me, and I don't know why. But regarding the ancestry, as I start like you know, or rather it, you know, my uh, Cherokee heritage tapping into me. It seems to like be affecting me. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. You, you, um, it's kind of like you're sleeping, and someone disturbs you from your sleep. You know that 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 initial jolt, like oh. <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly what you're experiencing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's uh, waiting for me to fully embrace it. <laughs> yeah, it's one 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 day at a time, one moment at a time. Yeah, because it seems like we're giving off the energy, <laughs> as Queen Fran has said about with the three women in the photographs. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody had posted a picture of the black Indians, you know, before Columbus. Oh, right, right. Definitely. Yep, and uh, so I saw a picture of a, you know, black Indian woman, and it reminded me of my, uh, my late maternal great-grandfather, who was full-blooded Cherokee from South Carolina. Mhm. Even right, though yeah. I never, yeah, I never saw him, but that's how I was, you know, just from his description. Right. Mhm. Mm. Mhm. Yeah. So, uh, Shemaya, on the ritual part two, what is this book about? It's about surviving the apocalypse. Um, my character, Paradise, she comes into her own. She's coming to the realization that, um for her particular development, she cannot um, live without using this particular divine science to, to save herself and to save our people. In the first book, she struggled with the idea of living independent of um, using the tools or equipment that was afforded her. Um, but the second book, um, she realizes that um, in order, because a lot of things happen to her, and it, it puts her in a corner where she's forced to use, she came from a, a mystical or magical family. And most people, like, it's a fantasy book, but for the most part, um, like uh, Cream, um, Fran said earlier, for the most part, that's taboo. You're not allowed to do that. But mm-hmm. she wasn't raised that way. Um, so her ideology was different, but she was conflicted because her mother um, abandoned the science of her people and went to get involved with the religion um, that wasn't part of their, their, their family base. And so that's where the, um, the conflict came in and it made it very challenging for my character paradise to make a decision on who she should be and what she should do in her life. So life circumstances put her in a place where she's forced to, to go back to the science of her people to, um, not only save her life, but to save the lives of many people to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really intense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting when I be talking, um, I'm aware of what I'm saying, but the impact um, resonates different with me than from how you all are hearing it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you mean is that, you know, what you, in other words, it sounds different to each individual. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I, could be a straight nut, I could be a straight nut to somebody and another one's like, wow, you're really hitting on something. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually... That's usually the case, and uh, it reminds me of, like, artists, you know, being, quote, crazy, end quote. 
<laughs> All right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely out there. Yeah. And, this is, and the part is crazy. This is dr- drug free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, art might as well be a drug. Art might well, yeah, as well yeah, be definitely, a drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely opens up uh, those the neurons and synapses to um, allow you to tap into um, other realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then all yeah, and and those who aren't prepared for it, it makes them quote crazy, end quote too. But they yeah, because yeah, yeah, you're not normal. Because you're not normal now. You know what I mean? You pre- you present uh, um, um, an ideology that that that's foreign to me, and therefore anything that's foreign, we tend to fight that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, xenophobia, fear of foreigners and foreign things. Right, right, exactly. So you need, you know anything you fear fear of, you got to destroy it. So that's part of this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, I guess the uh, B system, so to speak. So anytime, so anytime someone has a, uh, a contrary view to you, or someone presents something that makes you feel uncomfortable, our first reaction, you know, going with that uh, reptilian or R complex, um, we have to defend it or run away from it. <laughs> yes, fight or flight. Correct, exactly, or freeze up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is all interesting because tonight, what you just you know said, I have you know some similar material. Mm. So, so we're seeing synchronistic, uh, right. <laughs> synchronicity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then the things like with the articles and all that I have do have some from last week. Um, I never got a chance to read them, so I suppose there's a you know reason for it happening. Right. Exactly. Yeah, this is the time and place for it. But this is what this is April. If you're gonna read this evening, then tonight is the time and place for it. <laughs> That's right. Wait, wait, say that again. I said if you said it's April, but I'm saying if you're planning on reading your document, then tonight is the time and place for it. Yeah, because uh, I was talking about the. Yeah, what, what were we talking about? Think oh, yeah, the whole, yeah, the whole energy thing, I'm going to call it. I'm listening, and at the same time, I was I realized there was these two documents that I hadn't put out yet. So as soon as I just bear with me for a minute, nope. I thought I had pulled them out. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, your book, you know, which is Surviving the Apocalypse. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. <laughs> the continuation of, you know, um, paradise and uh, what's going to be her fate. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's an understatement. Uh, that that book even had um, had shaken me up a little bit from the standpoint of some information that was um, through the research that you spoke about earlier that was mm-hmm. revealed to me. Um, like, for instance, like the Queen of Sheba, and um, I, I had a phrase in there. I know, I, I know it's your hour, but uh, I just want to say this one part that kind of um, disturbed me a little bit. I chalked it mm-hmm. up to hateration, you know, um, where it's in uh, Kabbalah, um, Jewish mysticism, and some um, uh, Arabic uh, writings that the Queen of Sheba from those oh, ancient, right. ancient <laughs> yeah they they made it they made a statement that. Um, uh, um, the, the Queen of Sheba was the, the rule of Aksum or Ethiopia as we, as we know today, and allegedly was uncovered in Yemen, um, uh, modern day, you know, that one, you know, one of the big um, terrorist um, um, areas now. But at, make, make a long story short, the um, 
uh, some of the writings through, through my research have, have made the, the claim or assessment that she was half human and half gin. Her father was um, was a king, a human king, but her mother was part gin. And so that would uh, gave her the ability to rule uh, men and armies. So that's why I said I chalk it up to a hateration. And for those who may or may not be aware that uh, according to the lore, Jewish lore, uh, Queen of Sheba and the King 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 Solomon of Israel, they had a son together named Menelik first, and that's supposed right. to be the line of Haile Selassie I from the Rastafarian um, um, mm. uh, uh, belief system. So I think that was one of the out of all the weird and strange things that um, that appears in the in the book. That um, particular um, revelation kind of that uh, disturbed me in such a way that, like I said, I'm, I'm rationalizing that. Uh, this was hateration opposed to um, uh, actual fact that uh, the Queen of Shiva was half gin and half um, half human. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. You know what? You're probably shaking up not just yourself but other people who are listening because they don't understand what you just said like you understood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well a, gin, a, gin, and, uh, a gin is like, um, uh, for those that are older, they might know I Dream of Genie. Uh, a, a gin is... Uh, um, like we're, we're human beings that we're one particular species that exists uh, there in Islamic lore. Um, mm-hmm. There, there's a saying that, that the deity, the, the, the creator or Allah, he had created angels. And then there was another race of beings that were called the, the genii or the jinn, And they were, um, they were higher than mankind, but lower than angels. And they lived on an airplane um, before and during um, the, mankind's role so and they have the ability according to the law to uh affect human activity as well as the ability to look like humans at times or to even look like animals so this is part of islamic law so part of the law stated that uh, this um another type of creature unseen creature that had to really manifest in flesh um procreated uh with uh, a human being to birth uh the queen of shiva mm-hmm. And you know what? I was going to say, for those that are um, Disney uh, fans, the uh, animation of um, Aladdin. Yeah, the blue guy. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yes, yes. He was a gen. <laughs> the animation of Aladdin. Yeah. You know, speaking of gen, I just want to add, this reminds me of uh, Greek mythology with uh, Theseus. Well, Theseus uh, was a demigod. Uh, Poseidon was his dad. And so right. what happened was that the Minotaur, you know, Theseus killed the Minotaur. Right. The Minotaur was said to be, well, um, it was the um, a human woman. The, the, uh, the Minotaur's mom was a human, and the father was a bull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we're talking about transhumanism, right? Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the blending of species. Yeah, and the same with Pegasus. Uh, he was a, a flying horse with wings. Yeah, also a mixed breed or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, you know, there's um, some truth in, in, in fiction, you know? Yeah, fact mixed with fiction, and that's why it both, you know, it, it's fascinating and at the same time scary. It helps and it hurts. Right, right, exactly. The, I think the scary part is, is that because us being in which is 2017 aren't accustomed to that type of reality. So therefore, um, just the, the, the mere thought of um, entertaining something like that is drawing. 
Yeah, like I joked that I'm a demigod. Apollo's my dad, and uh, there are people who take it seriously. <laughs> see, yeah, see, yeah, you might not be um, be invited back to church with that kind of um, terminology. <laughs> Right, dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that dialogue might keep you from uh, uh, taking uh, uh, Sunday morning communion. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, way, no wafers for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what did I do? Look, my human side got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you're talking a, um, a, a, a religion or philosophy that is uh, foreign to non-Greek people. Right, right. <laughs> well, here's a fact. Well, here's a fact. You know, Greek mythology. It was well, it was stolen, and well, the Greeks stole you know uh, their mythology from somebody else and used it for their own. So, oh, of course. Uh, well, that's understood. <laughs> you funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> so she threw a softball out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> he so made like, I thought he's awake. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I get her. <laughs> well, wait a second. A softball is hard. No, I thought it was a regular baseball that was hard, not softball, because that's why it's called softball. Yeah, right. I'm saying that you toss it under. Uh, um, uh, you do it so lightly that uh, people that um, could see what you're saying there uh, could appreciate it. They could smack that out the park. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, well, tomorrow we'll see. You know what effects will, ha- will happen. To- <laughs> All right, so you, uh, you, uh, you're over there forecasting, huh? So when we wake up, it's going to be a different world, huh? <laughs> no, I'll say to say, yeah, the effects that are happening from tonight show what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, like uh, people got to sleep with the light on. Hmm? People got to sleep with the light on. <laughs> <laughs> if they want to, they're that scared in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, normally we wasn't, but their friend, y'all got this crazy guy up on there. <laughs> <laughs> you said now they're going to have the lights on tonight. Yeah, they're going to sleep with the light on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, yeah, but they'll, they'll sleep with the light on, but then they still won't sleep. They'll be looking around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be one uncomfortable night, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it will be the exceptional stroll episode one fifty eight will be the blame. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Play that in the pick three, huh? What'd you say? Play that in the pick three. Oh yeah, one five. <laughs> Everybody, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> so they could don- donate part, part donate part of their winnings to this exceptional scribble. <laughs> Hey, I, I received that. <laughs> Look, every little bit helps. Yeah, exactly. You can box and wheel it. Hey. Look, we don't want to beg, but hey, if you want to give, we ain't going to stop you. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Because <laughs> yes. then somebody be coming ready to shut us down. They're making all this catastrophe. What catastrophe is what? That's added to more of what's already happening every day. Hey, they don't realize it, but that could just be promoting us to the next level. Look, then we realize, hey, we got to do something bigger and better. We got to get this TV and radio hookup. <laughs> <laughs> we already in process now of working on that as we speak, so hey. 
You yep, say it would be a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. It's a big influence for the people that like it. Yep. Got it somewhere. I look at it like this, you know. This um, under talk shoes, it's preparing us. So when we take things on that are bigger and better, um, we will have had plenty of experience on this level um, in preparation of the next phase. So it won't be so foreign for us. Mm -hmm. Yes, well said. Yeah, well said. Yep. So I'm really appreciative of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thank you all too. You're very welcome. I thank you too because it's a wealth of knowledge that you shared tonight, and I'm so glad we have archives. So for those that couldn't tune in, I will definitely post that archive link on tomorrow so they can tune in and hear what they missed, and it'll prepare them for when you come back. They'll know what they should know so they can ask questions that are appropriate to ask during that show. Well, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I'm going to... Okay, so I guess with that being said, I will just say that um, time we are saying uh, to Spire Bay, we thank you for being the feature artist in the spotlight for the exclusive interview hour segment of tonight's show. And now we are ending that segment. Maya, if you can, feel free to carry with us for as long as you can. And if you have any questions for Zipora, anything um, regarding publishing and uh, the composition Writing process. Now is our time where we can ask all the questions we would like because she's definitely ready to answer our questions fully. <laughs> well, I want to thank both of you all uh, for the opportunity once again. Um, I'd like to do one more plug for the ritualbook.com. I have uh, another appointment that I'm, I'm a little bit late for, oh. but uh, I want to thank you all for the opportunity, uh, Queen, Queen Sephora and Queen Fran. Have you a wonderful well. show this evening, and um, I really enjoyed it. Well, we bid you safe right. travels and best success with your next assignment. Thank you very much. Turn. We'll talk um, um, maybe in the next couple of days. Yes, indeed. Thanks All right, again. have a good evening. You too. Right, you do the same. All right, bye-bye. All right. Hmm. Well, at this time, ladies and gentlemen, Queen Zipporah Thelman is ready. If you have questions, call in. The number is 724-444-7444. I repeat, 724-444-7444. And the show's ID number is 133193, and then the pound key or the hashtag key. Again, I repeat, the show's ID number is 1331. Nine three, and then the pound key or the hashtag key. Queen Zipporah, the mic is returned to your hands. All right, thank you, Queen Fran. Welcome. Now, to, now tonight I have four pieces of writing advice, which are the following. Number one, writing is self-identification. Number two, 
research helps imagination. Mm. All right, number three, read fiction and nonfiction to learn how to write. And number four, writing exposes hidden discoveries. Awesome. Thank you. All right, the next is the article read. And this article is the National Endowment for the Arts, which is money for artists, about the NEA. Established by Congress in 1965, the NEA is the independent federal agency whose funding and support gives Americans the opportunity to participate in the arts, exercise their imaginations, and develop their creative capacities through partnerships with state arts agencies, local leaders, other federal agencies, and the philanthropic sector, the NEA supports arts learning, affirms and celebrates America's rich and diverse cultural heritage, and extends its work to promote equal access to the arts in every community across America. Visit arts.gov to learn more about NEA. All right. Mm -hmm. Here's some news. News from the NEA dated March the 16th, 2017. Statement from National Endowment for the Arts Chairman Jane Chu on the FY18 budget. Today we learned that the President's FY2018 budget blueprint proposes the elimination of the National Endowment for the Arts. We are disappointed because we see our funding actively making a difference with individuals of all ages and thousands of communities large, small, urban, and rural, and in every congressional district in the nation. We understand that the president's budget request is a first step in a very long budget process. As part of that process, we are working with the Office of Management and Budget to prepare information they have requested. At this time, the NEA continues to operate as usual and will do so until a new budget is enacted by Congress. We expect this news to be an active topic of discussion among individuals and organizations that advocate for the arts. As a federal government agency, the NEA cannot engage in advocacy either directly or indirectly. We will, however, continue our practice of educating about the NEA's vital role in serving our nation's communities. And the contact number is the NEA Public Affairs, which is 1202-682-5570. All right, the next. Thanks. You're welcome. The next is Grants for Individuals. The President's FY 2018 budget blueprint proposes the elimination of the National Endowment for the Arts. With that said, our FY 2017 operations remain unchanged. We continue to make FY 2017 grant awards and will continue to honor all obligated grant funds made to date. In addition, we will continue to accept grant applications for FY 2018 at our usual deadline. The President's budget request is a first step in a very long budget process. The agency continues to operate as usual and will do so until a new budget is enacted by Congress. Creative Writing Fellowships. 
fellowships in fiction, poetry, and creative nonfiction enable recipients to set aside time for writing, research, travel, and general career advancement. Non-matching grants are for $25,000. Application deadline, March 8, 2017. Notification, December 2017. Earliest start date, January 1, 2018. And the other is uh, translation projects. Translation projects enable recipients to translate work from other languages into English. Non-matching grants are for $12,500 or $25,000, depending upon the artistic excellence and merit of the project. Application deadline, December 6, 2016. Notification, August 2017. Earliest start date, November the 1st, 2017. Yes, and you can apply for a grant. And uh, is guidelines and application forms for our competitive funding categories, grants for organizations, grants for individuals, and partnership agreements. So all of the information is uh, at the website, which I have read on the beginning first page. Mm-hmm. All right, T. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of things that you are sharing with the articles that you've read. We spoke about during the exclusive interview hour, and we were referring, of course, to Shamaya Bay's uh, second novel in his book series entitled The Ritual. Mm-hmm. So there's parallels tonight. Um, evident in what you're disclosing now and what he disclosed earlier on. I always say if there's an end, there's a beginning. If there's a middle for a story to be complete, it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a full story. (laughs) Oh, but I just read a – which story? No, just the information. A lot of what Uh, you shared – Referring mm-hmm. to articles, mm-hmm. there's some uh, of that information that was disclosed earlier, but, of course, he referred to his book, we ah. his book, of course, at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, how connected. And it was funny because I was doing some research about a, um, a different country for one of the settings in my book, one of my books, rather, and when I was researching about it, and I kept, and I saw a connection of what reminded me of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had said, mm-hmm. and it was about he said the American Negro has been displaced in his own country. His own country, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then I saw that the connection into uh, the country I was researching, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, or rather, it's like, well, yeah, with these connections, but all right. It is what it is. (laughs) That's right. Sometimes we can't always give an explanation or full explanation, but we just know what we know. And we see Mm -hmm. what we see and we hear what we hear. And we feel what we feel. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the more you try to deny that, you know, that feeling or that energy, whatever, it's not going to leave you alone. And it will, you know, bother you to, it will affect you emotionally. I mean, you'll be crying. You think that you're losing your mind. (laughs) That's it. Mm-hmm. I'll state it. Mm-hmm. We even yeah, talked so. about that. How um, many 
are programmed and conditioned not to um, accept what they see or they feel or they hear, but to dismiss it as a figment of their imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then it comes knocking and it's going to stay in your face until it forces you to, you know, check it out. <laughs> And this is, of course, why we must always know this. We're not crazy. That's the first thing to resolve. (laughs) (laughs) Paranormal or the other world exists. It's real. (laughs) It is a reality. (laughs) You're not crazy. (laughs) And that's why I like shows like The Twilight Zone. The Outer Limits, you know, all those shows back in the day, mm-hmm. because they I mean, helped us. The 80s and 90s. Yeah. And you know what? And they, you know what? You just, um, you know, said something that I'm going to be talking about later on. <laughs> and I said, like, with the 80s and the 90s, <laughs> art, yeah. you know, had messages. <laughs> wow. We're definitely on the same page tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So moving on. All right, and uh, in fact, you know what? And I said later on, later is now. Because uh, what I'm about to read is anti-Trump art warriors resistance. Mm. All right, so first is my essay, which is titled A Yearly Brutal Sacrifice, and it's about the lottery story by Shirley Jackson. Okay. All right, so here's my essay. A few people must die so that we can continue to have more crops is what old man Warner is saying in the story, The Lottery. The traditional ritual comprised of a black box, marked strips of paper, and stoning unfortunate victims regardless of their age has been embedded in the people's minds, leaving them emotionless as they participate in the activity. Author Shirley Jackson displays how people obey commands without questioning the morality. Unless we explore the meaning of an action, we become slaves to tradition. In the story, the black box symbolizes the refusal to let go of a tradition even as the tradition begins to fall apart. This is shown when Jackson writes, quote, the black box grew shabbier each year. By now, it was no longer completely black, but splintered badly along the side to show the original wood color and in some places faded or stained, end quote. The box is a key element which is a jump start for launching the chain of events that follow and click into place. Yet it is still dear to the tradition as described, quote, Mr. Martin and his oldest son, Baxter, held the black box securely on the stool until Mr. Summers had stirred the papers thoroughly with his hand, end quote. Old Man Warner symbolizes the townspeople who insist that the lottery must continue on to bring more luck when he says, quote, there's always been a lottery. Used to be a saying about lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody work anymore. Live that way for a while, end quote. Mm. Old Man Warner believes the situation can come to pass as punishment for not getting rid of people who may cause the downfall for the town. But as long as they remain steadfast, they will keep having good blessings come to them. 
Old Man Warner gets mad when someone mentions the halting of lotteries in other towns, which is shown when Jackson writes, quote, some places have already quit lotteries, Mrs. Adams said. Old Man Warner replies, nothing but trouble in that, end quote. He has lived a long time seeing lotteries take place and has not been selected a victim so far. Nonetheless, he seems to be gloating over this fact and feels acting as a helper will let him live. Quote, 77th year I've been in the lottery, end quote, old man Warner said as he went through the crowd, 77th time, end quote. The stones are a heavy symbol that keeps the people in line of remembering to do the last step, which is in the following sentence. Although the villagers had forgotten the ritual and lost the original black box, they still remembered to use stones, end quote. It's as if a spell has been cast on the rocks that stayed before the people's minds. Shannon, remember us, we play the most vital role, end quote. The one singled out begs for mercy, but no one hears the victim because the executioners are programmed to have no sympathy as evidence, quote, old man Warner was saying, come on, come on, everyone, end quote. When an innocent woman, Tessie Hutchison, is the target, she tries to talk sense to them, Nonetheless, this only makes matters worse for her as the town's folks close in on her and she on her. She tries to defend herself by yelling, quote, it's not, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, she said, end quote. A stone hit her on the side, I'm sorry, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, she said. Mm-hmm. A stone hit her on the side of her head, of the head, end quote. Everyone is of one accord and seems too afraid of breaking tradition lest the tables turn on them. The marked strips of paper represent and hold the people's fates. Mr. Summers, the leader, marked the papers as Jackson writes. It had a black spot on it, the black spot Mr. Summers had made the night before with the heavy pencil in the coal company office, end quote. The dotted papers are the third strong symbol aside from the stones in the black box. They are actually the tradition's rudiments where decisions are made. In this case, it is a death mark. After the papers are scrambled, the mark one seal the doom of the victim who draws it. The stones, black box, and papers are links in creation for the lottery. The time of the ritual beginning at 10 a.m. shows that the people want to get it over with so they can eat lunch, which Jackson puts. The whole lottery took less than two hours, so it could begin at 10 o'clock in the morning and still be through in time to allow the villagers to get home for noon dinner. The villagers have adapted to performing a ritual for so long that it is a possibility, hold on, excuse me, it is a possibility they can do it with their eyes closed. Eventually it will be forgotten and daily routines will go on. The horrible act is casual and doesn't phase them at all when murdering relatives and or neighbors. The stoners are immunized and had no emotions toward their deeds. The three-legged stool is symbolic, where it shows Mr. Summers, the conductor, and Mr. Graves, the postmaster, who is also Mr. Summers' assistant, positioning the stool in the middle of the ground. However, more help is required in keeping it still. Jackson explains, quote, the postmaster, Mr. Graves, followed him, carrying a three-legged stool, and the stool was put in the center of the square, and Mr. Summers set the black box down on it. And when Mr. Summers said, some of you fellows want to give me a hand, there was a hesitation before two men came forward to hold the box steady on the stool, end quote. 
The stool is a lightweight symbol that senses the heavy outcome of the person chosen for death. The end. Mm. Wow, lot said there. A lot yep. there. Yes. Yeah, I was looking at this essay. Mhm. Mhm. All right, so that's the end for you know the lottery, this essay, and now my second essay deals with all right history of modern graphic design, mm-hmm. and this is titled Chapter Seven Design Journal. So it reads the following: American Art Deco Period History. In the 1920s, graphic designers were in charge of publication, even though they themselves did not create the work. There were many organizations which supported the industry, such as conferences, exhibitions, and lectures. The Art Directors Club formed in 1920, followed by the Society of Typographic Artists in Chicago seven years later. Commercial design fields branched from fine art printing at the American Institute of Graphic Arts in 1914. The mass media demanded art directors' works and graphic designers were able to make a career where their incomes were from, let's see, excuse me, the amount of money spent on advertising each year was this much, which was uh, $600,000 to $3 billion. Mm -hmm. Because of this, though, there were more jobs for designers. So let's see. Newspapers had the highest salary of had the highest of two point two two point two five million dollars in nineteen twenty seven from advertisements. The industry the industry was valuable to America for its skills. All right, that's it for this um, essay. All right. And my third one is titled, A Citizen Government's Biography. And this was from uh, History 3353, and it dealt with uh, you know, Greek history. Mm-hmm. Democracy is a government where people have the power in decision-making. However, according to the excerpts from the funeral oration of Pericles and Pseudo-Xenophon, or your constitution of the Athenians, one source instructs the people to be loyal to their free will and which their ancestors died fighting to preserve but excluded the common people who made up a majority of the democracy. The other document tells how Athens was fairly won from the common people because they did not abuse the power, which was a problem for the aristocrats who felt threatened by them. The funeral oration of Pericles is written so convincingly that it sounds very touching and truthful about the smooth, smooth rule that democracy gave to Athens. Equality was the main right, as Thucydides says, for its administration favors the many instead of the few, oligos. This is called a democratia, democracy. And this is, the source was from thucsuck.momanumeral2.37. The document declares freedom, opportunity, a balanced class. There is no poverty, and Athens flourished from trade, which Thucydides writes, quote, the greatness of our polis 
draws the produce of the world to us so that we are as accustomed to having the luxuries, Agatha, that are produced at home as well as the best products of men, end quote, Suck 238. Poverty spreads when nothing is done to stop it. Most of all, Athens prospered from the love, care, and protection she was given from her parents, who were the citizens. Now it is the virus's turn to continue in the brave soldiers' footsteps of keeping democracy alive as such society states, quote, realize the dynamic power of the poly commensurate with our erga and feed your eyes upon her from day to day till love, Erasto, C.F. Eros, of her fills your heart, end quote, Suck 243. Here, the document tells how democracy made Athens a utopian society. Pseudo-Xenophon, Xenophon, Constitution of the Athenians, tells the whole truth about democracy in Athens. The upper class feared the common people who had more authority. They were society's backbone. There are usually underdogs and disregarded as nobodies by the caste system and money is the true government because wealthy people are better equipped from inheritance. However, democracy is the wealthy's enemy, which pseudo-Xenophon describes, quote, the cream of society, was it Beltasun, is in opposition to the democratia, end quote, pseudo-Xenophon, Roman numeral 1, 5. The wealthy are weak in knowledge and skills, which they believe are not needed for their positions. What they fail to realize is that the slaves and low class who do the hard work become professional at rowing as pseudo-Xenophon writes, hence a stock of skillful mariners is produced, bred upon a wide experience of voyaging and practicing, pseudo-Xenophon 119. The low class people had developed rowing skills and therefore were more intelligent. Another problem that the wealthy have is a small army. The hoplites are less in number at Athens and what gives them strength is more soldiers for adding to their army, which Pseudo-Xenophon states, quote, but relatively to the Symmetroi who bring in the foras, their strength even on land is enormous, end quote, Pseudo-Xenophon 2-1. The more numbers that the hoplites have increase their armies. The wealthy also, also feared the democracy in different ways. For one thing, the common people have not harmed anyone yet their crime is their social status. However, it offered them protection from the upper class's enemies who they were defenseless against. The land is what would be attacked if they were to bother the enemies first that pseudo-Xenophon describes, quote, the demos knowing well that come, that come what may, not one stock of stone of their property will suffer, nothing will be cut down, nothing burnt lives and freedom from alarm without dreading the enemy end quote, pseudo-Xenophon 2.14. The information sounds hard to believe that the wealthy cannot battle their enemies using the same conquering force like they would do that they would on their victims. The wealthy also feel humiliated that the common people are their bodyguards. An interesting but scary fact is how classes that try to have friendships with each other get into trouble with their own class, as pseudo-Xenophon explains, quote, being inspired by hostility towards the Athenians, they would destroy those of their own citizens whose friendship, philoi, to the Athenian demos was most marked, end quote, pseudo-Xenophon 2.16. Democracy may have equality, but the wealthy are not going to tolerate a mixing of the classes and will inflict harm towards it. In their mentality, there is still a caste system.
Slaves are the class of people who suffer the worst discrimination because of their status, which is something they have no control over, yet subjected to having fewer possessions. They are to do as they are told, have no rights or say-so about their conditions, and can be punished for false accusations and misdemeanors. However, Athenian slaves enjoyed the same social status as did the free people and foreigners, which pseudo-Xenophon records, quote, Deloitte and Athens are allowed to indulge in luxury and indeed in some cases to live magnificently be found astonishing this too. It can be shown is done of set purpose, end quote. Pseudo-Xenophon 111. The slaves did not flaunt their wealth around because they had it. The new problem that they had was identification because they wore presentable clothes like non-slaves since the same penalties were imposed on them like the law was for everyone. Pseudo-Xenophon explains, quote, an Athenian might be mistaken for doulos or the mythicos, nor in personal appearance is there any superiority, end quote. Pseudo-Xenophon 110. Mm. Food, yes. Food, clothing, shelter, beverage, and other necessities are luxuries to poor people that the wealthy do not value because they can get them whenever they want. The main factor of democracy's operation was how the capital support the common people are more honored because they run Athens and have the intelligence required to govern it. The attention is envied by the wealthy who are used to being idolized for their material possessions that people covet. The wealthy dislike equality since they fear that their real fun has ended of watching the common people struggling to survive. What, mo- what mostly hurts the wealthy is that they are not favored, as Pseudo-Xenophon writes, quote, the fact that everywhere greater consideration is shown to the, quote, based the tennis poor and the demortikoi common folk than the peoples of Crestoi, better classes, implies the establishment on the part of the demotikoi of a stronger power in opposition to itself, end quote, pseudo-Xenophon 1-4. The wealthy people feel neglected and think that it is wrong for them to be ignored. Since democracy is a people's government, it belongs to all citizens, but the council shows favoritism in selecting wealthy men. The unfairness is that they will only discuss the matters and concerns of the wealthy and making improvements for them while forgetting people who they believe are unimportant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, everyone has the freedom of speech in the council, as Pseudo-Xenophon declares, quote, the, person, the permission to give counsel, voluminous, should belong to any polite citizen, end quote, Pseudo-Xenophon 111. The wealthy were uncertain whether or not the demos would harm or help them, as Pseudo-Xenophon writes, quote, there are many of those archontes, which according as they are in good or or in good or in bad hands are a source of solitaria safety or can do no danger to the demos excuse me, to the demos. End quote, pseudo Xenophon one three. The fear that the common people will retaliate for being mistreated because the common people they excuse me, they fear that the common people will retaliate for being mistreated because the common people have not harmed them. In conclusion, a citizen's government's biography reveals that one document told the half-truth of how democracy operated, while the other gave exact details of the government. The common people were also teachers to the wealthy who needed to learn how to respect people, and they will in turn be respected. Their problem was how power made them believe that they were mighty and free to do anything that they wanted, but democracy changed their thinking. The end. 
Very good article. Yeah, essay. Yeah. A lot is said in each one. And um, share with everyone which article you found most interesting when reviewing each article and why you thought that article was most interesting. Oh, boy, that's a heavy question. Well, mm-hmm. let if me say it. in one, then you can say that if yeah. all of them you felt were the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. well, they were, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there was more than, I do have more than one. I have four articles, but mm-hmm. I'm going to look at, you know, I would say the, a yearly brutal sacrifice about the lottery story. Right. And followed by, you know, the citizens' government is because they, you know, they have cause and effect of, you know, the behaviors of people. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yep. Thanks. <clears throat> All right, and then the final essay is uh, titled A Psychologist Playwright. Psychology is the study of mental and physical behavioral sciences in humans. It is also a subject that is used every day to discover why people do mean or nice things to each other. However, Euripides, a Greek dramatist, combined the social science and literature to present them in a theater in a play genre called Tragedy, serious drama describing a conflict and having a sad ending. Early life. Euripides was born in Athenia at Phyla in 480 B.C. The parents, Cleito and Nisarchus, who were inheritors as Hazel writes, Quote, Euripides came from a wealthy family of hereditary priests of Apollo Zosterius, end quote, page 102. He was a painter, an athlete, owned a library, and disliked politics. Mm. Euripides later, mm-hmm. yes, Euripides later married Nesilosius' daughter, Melite. Although his family was rich, Euripides did not seem to act snobby about it. Career. Euripides became a playwright in 455 at the Dionysius City in competitions where he won third place upon Aeschylus' death. However, Euripides did not win each time, which disappointed him as Hornblower describes, quote, he had left, he had left Athens and an embittered man finally despairing after a series of defeats by almost unknown playwrights, end quote, page 571. No one likes losing, and people do not let it stop them from going forward to further advance themselves. Euripides realized that he could not let losing get to him and continued writing. The source of his tragedies could be from his personal defeats. Therefore, he decided to put them on the stage to express his feelings. Plays. Euripides wrote 90 plays throughout his career and was widely successful among two other playwrights, which MacDonald writes, well, although in his own lifetime he was not as successful as Aeschylus and Sophocles, he became the most popular of the three in later times, end quote, page 96. Euripides was labeled the first psychologist from how he improvised myths to make them more original, as Hazel explains, quote, he seems to have, it felt, to have felt it necessary to give the old stories new life by mm. adopting a realistic stance or by giving them an unexpected twist, end quote, page 102. 
This suggests how people become bored of the same things and want to experience the reinvented ideas to the place. Euripides also was well known in the classical Greek world as Bates records, quote, when the modern drama grafted the classical element on its crude growth, the plays of Euripides were directly or indirectly the most powerful influence in the establishment of a living connection between them, end quote, page one. This suggests that Euripides changed the tragedy genre. Medea, the masterpiece. One of Euripides' best tragedy is Medea. He exposes people for who they really are and has them oppose one another, which McDonald expresses, quote, Euripides shows man confronting himself and sometimes he is a source of his own defeat, end quote, page 97. Humans blame the gods for their downfalls while unaware that their own foolish acts set a trap for them. Euripides used reverse psychology from flipping the script of the people's characterizations, which McDonald reports, quote, Euripides made women, children, and slaves in the heroes intended to present the traditional male heroes in a very bad light, end quote, page 97. People see the heroes who stop the wars, but their prideful deeds make them believe they are more than what they are and therefore are permitted to do anything to the, quote, little people, end quote, who are their assistants. Instead of giving them the credit, they are regarded as useless. Medea is the suffering wife of Jason, whom she helped to whom she helped get the Golden Fleece. After the couple married and had two sons, excuse me, a delusion tells Jason that there is someone even better than Medea, and it further drives him to leave his wife when showing him a princess with whom he can have royal brothers for his children. Mm. Euripides mm, Euripides keeps Medea's femininity, as Norwood states, quote, in the heroine, he gives us the first and possibly the finest of his marvelous studies in feminine human nature, end quote, page 197. As Medea plots her revenge, her cleverness mixed with her feminine wits is what helps her do so. The main ingredient of the plan is language, which is so controlling when spoken correctly. Saying the wrong or right words can help or hurt a situation. Norwood further supports the fact, quote, the whole work is as novel and as great in linguistic skill as in dramatic art end quote, page 199. Jason insulted Medea and thought that he could beat her by using sophistry, which means arguing to win, but killing their sons struck him like a needle without anesthesia. Medea was a woman who became a monster when Jason betrayed her, as Barleyan explains, quote, Euripides' willingness to represent these changes, excuse me, and to depict heroes with the same problems, challenges, and speech as normal people and a volatile mixture of myth and socialism, that for Aristophanes was the real issue, end quote, page 11. Medea may be labeled as a monster from her misbehavior, but she is not acting like one out of craziness since Jason transformed her. People do not automatically snap, which makes them abnormal or the harassments and abuse said and done to them. Once a person's mind is captured, it sets their body in attack mode, and revenge makes them commit violent acts on their tormentors. Euripides wanted to show people that they should not blame victims for the dangerous things that they do. In conclusion, a psychologist dramatist crowns Euripides, excuse me, so a psychologist playwright, crowns Euripides as the true founder of Greek tragedies from how he did something that no other playwrights were doing 
when showing that people do not admit that they are the source of hurt in their victims. Euripides kept the traditional tragic end of the genre, only according to him, it was the tormentors and not the victims who were punished justifiably. Some people may disagree with Euripides' depiction of the switch roles because they are so used to seeing the heroes punishing the villains. Therefore, they, have, they may have difficulty absorbing this idea since it is always shown backwards. Once people become accustomed to seeing something that has been incorrectly it has been incorrectly for so long, it takes time for them to see it accurately, and gradually they will accept it. Euripides was able to portray humans as they are. The end. All right. Any questions, comments? I'm just, I am in awe because a lot of it ties in with what was discussed during the exclusive interview hour. A lot of the same points were made. Um, this is, it's, it's good. Very good commentary on your part as well. Thanks. <laughs> well, well, it looks like I, uh, another, another night I picked, you know, the correct articles to, mm-hmm. to read. It. <laughs> and how about this S- situation and circumstances being what they were last week, it prevented you from reading those articles last week because they were relevant to this week. Uh-huh. From the beginning of our show, a lot of those strong points were made during the exclusive interview hour. So it was meant for you to read it this week. And no interruptions. Note that. No interruptions. You didn't. And no, you didn't have any interruptions. You were able to just go from one article reading one article to the next. Yeah. Yeah, normally okay. balls start coming in and build up where we have interruptions and we have to cater to callers on this platform. That's the way the TalkShoe server rates the success of our show based on the call-ins. So you were free tonight. You had the wiggle room to just keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty, then I'm going to do just that. Mm-hmm. All yes, right. indeed. All right. All right, so this next article is titled, A Dark Part of Empathic People That You Rarely See. And this is found at HTTP forward slash, I mean, HTTP colon two forward slashes dailyoccupation.com forward slash 2017 forward slash 01 forward slash 31 forward slash dark that, you know, um, in the article's title. And um, I had read this. Somebody had posted this on Facebook. And so what I did, you know, I had went to the, uh, you know, to the article website and decided, you know, to read it. And I found it to be, you know, interesting and it was good to be shared. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. So here's the article. Empaths are typically known as the healers of the world. They're the mm-hmm. people whose senses are heightened the ones that not only see the different energies of the world, but actually feel them, experience them. Those who are not empaths might think that this ability to feel what others feel is a gift, 
But if you can convince an empath to talk about their gift, they might tell you that it's not always sunshine and rainbows. In fact, it's quite often not a very fun gift to possess at all. Because of their gift, so many people rely on them for support. Empaths are almost always trusted because they make people feel safe. And while the empath is capable of handling the emotions of others, they also experience quite a bit of stress because of it. The dark side of being an empath comes in the form of having two conflicting voices constantly warring at each other inside of their heads, constantly feeling both the good and the bad, the negative and the positive, to the point that they feel overwhelmed. Empaths are more susceptible to the negative energies in life. Their intense ability to feel can't get away from the deep-rooted evils that exist in the world. Their deep understanding of how the world exists and operates is enough to confuse and sadden them. What they can't understand is why this type of energy exists in the first place if, it, if all it does is hurt others. Excuse me. The dark side of being an empath is constantly being exhausted and fatigued from the energies you absorb, mm. but you never know it because the empath never dares break down or lose composure. They quietly observe, acknowledge, and feel. As many others do, empaths want to be loved and accepted for who they are, but it is their generosity and kindness that often sees them being taken advantage of by those who only take, never give. Empaths are, quote, givers, end quote, by all means, ready to show kindness to those in need at all times. The dark side of being an empath is not knowing that being so selfless places an incredibly heavy burden on oneself. Even the empaths that do recognize the burdensome nature of their selflessness often choose to ignore it because carrying that weight is more meaningful than letting it fall on someone else's shoulders. The dark side of being an empath is knowing that you willingly neglect both your body and mind for the sake of others. A neglect that builds over the years eventually resulting in the need to go soul-searching once again, a practice that we only take up when we feel completely lost. The dark side of being an empath is knowing that even when they fall in love, they never do so entirely. They simply aren't capable of giving every ounce of their heart to someone else. They know that if they tried, the intensity of the passion would most likely be too much to handle for themselves and their partners. Mm. Which is why, and which is why they always keep a little part of them hidden away from the rest of the world. They keep a guard up out of necessity, even if they want nothing more than to let it down and succumb to an overwhelming love. The dark side of being an empath is the war that is always being waged within. The war they wage, wage against the sadness, the darkness, and the sorrowful side of themselves that is always trying to rear its ugly head and lead them into self-destruction. The only way they can fight this successfully is by learning to distinguish between emotions that are their own and emotional energies that are imposters invading from the outside. Empaths need people who understand who they are, people they can talk to and who will listen. Empaths need to be able to let down the wall they've built up around their feelings so that they can let their empathic selves do good in their own life. Otherwise, empaths are destined to fight a war within themselves that never ends. The end. Mm. Empaths. I tell you, most artists are classified as 
impact. And after hearing you give explanation via the article reference read, I must agree to that truth. Yeah, I'm listening. I was just writing what you said. Most artists are regarded as empaths. Yes, they are classified as empaths. And after listening to all of what was expressed in the article you read, I have to affirm and say affirmative because Mm -hmm. as an artist, I've always known that about myself as well as Mm -hmm. far as me is concerned. Um, I am an empath, and I've always known that. Mm -hmm. And I was even uh, not too long ago, someone that's, they um, are called Reiki, um, had said that to me after um, meeting with my acquaintance and talking to me. They told me that. They said, you're an empath. And I'm like, mm-hmm. smiling and nodding, yeah, <laughs> I've known this for some time, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you come to terms with the truth eventually. Um, and it's not an easy path. Uh-huh. It's not. Um, no. Yeah, I, I know each other. When you meet another in fast, you know it. Yeah, I agree about with empaths not being easy. It's because they're not supposed to, you know, understand. Mhm. <laughs> it's scaring, you know. You're scared, you know. You're being feared because of your understanding, which is not supposed to happen. And it's a thing of you're not trying to be light. This is your lot. You know, when something is your lot, you just learn to admit, eventually, this is my lot. This is who I am. This is what I am. And this is the path, my life's path. You know, it was chosen for me or it chose me. Not that I chose it. Mm-hmm. And I think that empaths are empaths. Not that they choose to be, but it was something that was chosen for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so I'm just like, these articles, they're just, you know, flowing free. You know, in, in a flowing or interruption free. <laughs> hmm I think it's just one of those nights where a lot of truths are being disclosed from the very beginning of the show uh, this evening. And it's one of those things that sometimes it's best that there's not a lot of traffic mm-hmm. noise, you know, a lot of people calling in because... That enables the listeners to really listen. Yeah. Age and hearing what truths are being shared because it's mm-hmm. quite relevant truths. These truths are quite relevant to us. Yes. Yeah, it just takes time, you know, to accept it is because, you know, it's scary from the conditioning. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's amazing we're using the same keywords 
from the very beginning of the program tonight, um, Shamaya Bay, who was the feature artist in the spotlight, used the word programming and conditioning. Ah, yeah, they go hand in hand. Yep. And, and one of the most dangerous things about programming and conditioning is that people use it, you know, if they, um, it's their protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they will, you know, attack with it when contradicted. Right, and that's a. I had asked the question. I said, "Well, how do you prepare yourself for retaliation? Because when you begin to expose the hidden things, those secrets, you're um, you become vulnerable to those who don't want those hidden things revealed. Right, you become enemy." To them, mm-hmm. an enemy of the state, you become an enemy of their state, and you're, mm-hmm. you become you can be targeted because of it. Um, yeah. They call you a truth monger. Mm-hmm. Um, you get accused of a lot of things. You'll be called a conspiracy theorist. Take <laughs> it the fact that you want to relay relevant information and and awaken minds that are latent, mm-hmm. you know, awaken those conscious and subconscious uh, states of the mind because yeah. they are um, quite latent and they need to be stirred up. They need to be aroused and awakened because things are happening right under our nose. And because yeah. we've been in that sleep state mentally or psychologically, we've been Docile, where we've allowed things to happen that really we should not. No, but it's that you know that hypnosis, which is another very dangerous. You know, it's um, when it's used. Mhm. Mhm. And you know, a lot of people tend to think, well, what you ignorance is bliss. Mhm. Don't know won't hurt you. Mhm. Um. Well, I'll deal with it when it's in my face mm-hmm. or when it hits my home. Then I'll deal with it then. But right now, it's not my problem. It's their problem. Yeah. You know, we have that too that wants to remove itself from the general community of the world, which is global. And to be an isolated community in and of itself, where um, you have 1% that live or lead lives quite different from the majority population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Queen Fran, I also want to add, when you talk about that epic memory, that's also very powerful. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, yeah. Go ahead. And that's something I think um, when our minds are not being controlled Mm -hmm. by other powers, whatever you want to call them, when we're able to think for ourselves, when we can be an independent thinker and make decisions of our own, Accord. Mm-hmm. Not self is not well. It's not imposed on us. Mm-hmm. Then we know 
what it means to be true to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But as long as we're allowing people to make choices for us, mm-hmm. but so many of us have been living this way for so long, we don't mm-hmm. know what it means to not live this mm-hmm. life. We've accepted it as a norm. It's mm-hmm. not to be accepted as a norm. We need to know what it is that we should know. Aside from what we're being taught and conditioned to think and believe or accept as the truth, we need mm-hmm. to know the truth for ourselves. Yeah. Means we I- have to yeah. go about the process of discovery of what is true. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy because that will require pain. No pain, no gain. It will mean separation because there are those that want to be programmed. They want to be literal um, millennial robots. They want to be. And that's their choice. Okay, well, let them be as they choose to be. But if you know within your heart of hearts and your soul and mind that you want to think freely, and not be controlled, and not be a slave, not be a slave to any um, mega industry, corporation, government, or what have you, then you've got to be willing to suffer whatever that cost may be. For some people, there are those who have literally, and it's called they live off the grid, They have gone underground. They have given up a lot of luxuries because freedom or their liberation means that much to them. Uh It's a choice you have to make. You have to say, look, I've been a slave, and, and it's industrialized now. Slavery has become institutionalized now. So it's a lot more subtle. And it's a sophistication now with how it's done, where it's not that we're literally in physical stocks, chains, or bonds, but we literally are in stocks, chains, and bonds, mentally, socially, emotionally, mm-hmm. to a system that governs us in so many ways. It dictates our lives in so many aspects of our lives. If we really just study to know that truth, we'll be better off because it's when you realize you are a slave, then you can do something about it. And when you don't know, I believe it was Harry Tubman that said, I would have freed more people if they knew that they were slaves? Yes. And you, Queen Friends, it was Queen Zipporah, you read my mind, I was going to say, you know, that next, about what Harriet Tubman had said. When that word, yeah. And, and that's yeah. one thing I so liked about the movie The Matrix. Uh-huh. Because it really brought out the 
those things, those truths that we don't understand and realize that we have become our own worst enemy as um, they want to say civilized humanity. We have not really become more civilized. We've become less civilized. We become more digitized, and we 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 tend to now um, function like uh, robots. Mm-hmm. You know the the sense of humanity by virtue has left many. It's so many that they're not humane in in how they treat humans or interact with other humans. They're more prone to engaging in a wholesome dialogue with a computer and via cyberspace than they are with a warm-blooded human, someone that is flesh and blood that they can easily make a connection with and touch and talk to. And that's that. Yeah, and I want to add about uh, AI or artificial intelligence. Yeah. Humans weren't satisfied with fellows, and so that's why they had these robots to make it more different. I just saw they showed in China a man supposedly married a cyborg. (laughs) And this cyborg bride moved like an actual human, looked like one. They have this... uh, uh, sim- it's a similitude to flesh, um, outer uh, covering, and it was just so eerie to see. But, I mean, it were, it's actually coming to this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminded me about the Batman Beyond episode where, <laughs> what was it, the, um, I think he was, what, the nerd kid who was trying to get people to come to a party at his house, and so he got one of these expensive human robots. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the jealousy, the envy, you know, is what, you know, made the ro- the human female robot blow up the house. And his parents that. came his parents, his parents came home. He said, Mom, Dad, I thought you were vacationing, you know, in Madrid. And one of his parents said, we were until the credit card maxed out. What did you buy, dynamite to blow up the house? Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Either, I mean, you know, it's like we have literally come to this un, it's just not healthy. Um, We've resorted to this, these means, as humans having allowed ourselves to become so controlled, mainly where now the computers are dictating to us who we can date. Um, we rely on a, a, a dating service. We don't know if that's a real person that we are um, having communication with. It could be a robot, a computer, another computer. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you know. I know, you know, I understand, yeah, I understand what you mean is because when you go online, and especially when you're filling out, like, forms and all, and then mm-hmm. it's that type and you know, the code at the bottom to ensure that you are a human and not a robot. Right. Like, oh, my, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I'm noticing now. It's like with everything. When you mm-hmm. <laughs> like, now, they, they have that clause in there. And that's important. I mean, think about it. 20 years ago, that was unheard of. 
but this is the reality now that we're living in. It looks like we have a caller, Sinister Spittle. Welcome. Good evening. I, did, I wasn't getting any audio on the <clears throat> uh, Internet, so I was calling so I could listen to you, ladies, such all. Yeah, yeah, well, welcome. We, we're glad you called in. We were discussing Queen Zipporah and I, um, uh, artificial intelligence, the pros and the cons. Um, we were touching on a lot of things. Um, if you would like to chime in, if you have any uh, remarks or any questions, feel free to ask or to comment. Yeah, um, not not really. I mean, I think I, I think I fall along the same lines as you both. The uh, dependency on these items is, uh, is really taking away people's ability to be social. <clears throat> and that's why you see the uh, lack of neighborly conduct and everything else in the world today. Exactly. I like the way you put that. You know, we become so reliant on computers and machines. We've lost touch with what it means to just go next door to our neighbor and say, good morning, hi. We're texting more than um, doing uh, house visits and house calls now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, 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 it's, uh, it's just gone. The lack of uh, what we once knew. I don't know. That's the best way I can put it. Once we, what we once knew is no longer a a thing. You know, it's uh, all become mm-hmm. too elite. It's a, it's a, Elitist, separatist conduct that's just uh, ruining ruining mankind. Yeah, I mean, I was watching one time they were showing on news all this money now that the president just signed um, to go towards this space program to um, to assure that humans can live on the moon and other planets. You know what? I just want to add this Queens report. And somebody had posted an article that said, How is it that there's money for these Tomahawk missiles, but not money for the, you know, in other words, necessities? And I look at it like this is uh, saved, spent money. Say that again. It's Did you say saved, spent money? Well, let me put it this way it's spent money that was saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well put. Mm-hmm. For for someone that takes a stance on we need to take care of Americans first, that's the least way to do it. Mm -hmm. Take all these abandoned buildings and put these homeless people to work and put these other people that don't have jobs to work. Making their own homes. Making solar power panels. Where the money. The stupid amount of money and people can live off uh, off of what you're allowing them is very little anyway, but we have so many resources, supposedly, because mm-hmm. we can go to the moon. Um, <laughs> but we can't take care of our own people. And That's like, what I was about to say. That's one of my questions. I'm like, homelessness is still a crisis and an epidemic here in the U.S., and we're talking about living on the moon. <laughs> and we need people living in the houses right here. Just a moment in St. Louis, the amount of abandoned buildings and, and dilapidated properties, if they were to be fixed up and, and you know, solar panels put on everything, mm-hmm. you would be able to house not only the homeless in St. Louis, but the entire western 
Wow. Missouri, you know. That's uh, major aid. That's major servicing to the community right there. That's real community help right there, community building right there. That answers. Mm. That's an answer. That's a real answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is uh, Queen Zipporah, and I'm going to continue on with the anti-Trump um, art warriors resistance. You know. All right. So here's the next article. Okay. All right, this is titled. We're in an amazing black cultural moment. Can we avoid the backlash by Sarita McFadden? <clears throat> As the presidential candidate, this was dated, excuse me, Sunday, May the 15th, 2016. As the presidential campaign awakens racist rhetoric, black art is this time around unconcerned with the emotional well-being of white folks. Black American culture is experiencing a kind of delicious dominance at the moment. It's one that might seem odd given its contrast with the resurgence of racism embodied by some supporters of Donald Trump. But Trumpism, as my colleague Stephen Thrasher has noted, is just the latest version of a pattern in America. Black progress beckons white rage. This artistic triumph isn't a new movement then, but rather reads like one because this time around, Creators aren't making work that over-explains black life or that makes white society comfortable, centered, or even included. Beyonce's Lemonade was made to speak to black women. Larry Wilmore's N-word used at the White House Correspondents' Dinner wasn't meant for the white people it offended. Shonda Rhimes is the most successful showrunner in television, creating a space for black actors to feature complex representations of black life. Claudia Rankine's critically acclaimed volume Citizen explicitly interrogates microaggressions that shape black life in America. As black deaths overtake the news cycle and the current presidential campaign slog has shaken awake racist inflammatory rhetoric that many non-black Americans want to believe was dead, black art is unconcerned with the emotional well-being of white folks. The cultural work of black American creators at this moment is exciting energizing and a reflection of the ever-maturing consciousness in black America. The dominant narrative of American identity, one centered in whiteness and its aesthetics, is one that black American artists have explored, confronted, and challenged since the nation's beginning. Black American artists, writers, and creators have long asserted the personhood of black people. From Phyllis Wheatley's poems on being brought from Africa to America, to the compulsive portraiture of Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth, to the novels and poems of poets of the Harlem Renaissance era, the paintings of Jacob Lawrence, to the works of Carrie May Weems, Micheline Thomas, and Kehinde Wiley. These artists have pivoted from a presumed white gaze and expanded definitions of the American self. Mm. But those efforts, while, <clears throat> but those efforts, while vanguard and significant have stayed at the mainstream's margins when I ask people of all ages and shades to tell me what they know of the American story. And as a professor, that opportunity comes up more than you think. They tell me spotty ramblings from their high school history and civics classes that they can recall, mostly centered in a narrative of exceptionalism. The current wave of scholarship, criticism, novels, works of art from global pop artists, 
rappers, painters, playwrights, filmmakers, and photographers is crucial to resisting the old narratives that have been taught across generations. Beyonce's Lemonade blurs the lines between music video and art installations. The television series Underground Challenges Convention and its focus retelling of antebellum America and slave resistance. Novelist Angela Flournoy's The Turner House upends rigid narratives about working class Detroit and Nate Parker's forthcoming film subversively titled The Birth of a Nation aims to destroy the racist association of the title, attaching it forever to the courageous acts of Nat Turner. These works insist that as a people, we remain awake in this great revolution. Because if we don't, the backlash might end up simply furthering what has often looked like the natural arc of U.S. history. Black equality and success leads to white retrenchment and violence. Instead, we must push on. When you say reject the birth certificate of the first black president, what you mean to say is that to be American is to be white. The billionaire who declared that the birth certificate was invalid is now the presumptive nominee for the party against slavery, the party of Lincoln. Rejecting the authenticity of Obama's Americanness is by proxy a rejection of black American authenticity. To protest the man and quote, I want my country back, end quote, in 2009, or to be flummoxed or enraged by the affirmation, quote, Black Lives Matter, end quote, in 2016, and not admit that anti-black racism fuels this, ignores the nation's true history. Mm-hmm. If you doubt me on this point, then consider that the Trump campaign claims to have accidentally named a white nationalist as a primary delegate for the upcoming California primary who reportedly wants to deport anyone with, quote, Negro blood, end quote, or just watch any of the video in which crowds physically assault people of color at his campaign rallies. I love America more than any other country in the world, James Baldwin wrote in 1955, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Baldwin was one of a long line of black American artists, thinkers, and writers who resisted the singular story of the American people that occluded black people. To declare an American identity and Americanness as a black artist has always felt like a political act. And as the era of the nation's first black president draws to a close, Black artists and people aren't seeking permission or acceptance from the dominant cultural narrative of old. We are simply declaring, we are. It's our country. We're not apologizing anymore for telling it how we see it. Since you're here, we've got a small favor to ask. More people are reading The Guardian than ever, but far fewer are paying for it. Advertising revenues across the media are falling fast. And unlike many news organizations, we haven't put up a paywall. We want to keep our journalism as open as we can. So you can see why we need to ask for your help. The Guardian's independent investigative journalism takes a lot of time, money, and hard work to produce. But we do it because we believe our perspective matters, because it might well be your perspective too. If everyone who reads our report and who likes it helps to support it, our future will be much more secure. The end of this article. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And it was from www.theguardian.com. But to get to it, you just type in the title, which is, We're in an Amazing Black Cultural Moment. Can We Avoid the Backlash? And the author is Thyrita, spelled S like Sam, Y as in Yo-Yo, R as in Rita, 
E, E, T as in Todd, A as in Apple, McFadden, M, C, F as in Frank, A, D as in Dig, D as in Dig again, E as in Earl, N as in Nancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sharing. Um, and is that the final article? Or yeah, do you have another? Yes, yeah, this is the final article, but I now I have, you know, it's our books and other, you know, types of art. Okay. Anyone have any comments or questions before Queen Zipporah reads other documents she has prepared? Okay, Queen Zipporah. All right, excuse me. All right, the next form is books, or books, rather. Wait, the next form is books. I'm sorry. All right, first is The Ritual, How to Capture a Soul by Shamaya Bay. That was part one. All right, number two, six-book Crimson Moon series by the late L.A. Banks. L.A. Banks, rather. So I'm going to read, you know, book one's a summary, which is called Bad Blood. Sasha Trudeau knows all about working beneath the shadows back alley deals and things that go bump in the night. She also knows that the world is unaware of the existence of the paranormal and that the government would like to keep it that way. As a highly trained special ops soldier, Sasha and her team are an elite group of individuals who are survivors of werewolf attacks now trained to be loyal to only each other and their government. But when she returns from a solo mission, she finds that her team has mysteriously gone missing. Shocking government conspiracies, double-dealing vampires, and a host of stunning revelations about who and what she really is are only just the beginning. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, so any questions or comments? None for me. Anyone else? Any questions or comments, uh, Sinister Spittle? Okay, Queen Zippor. All right. The next book is titled The Family Album, and it's edited by author and Nancy DeMoss, associate editor Joseph V. Gorman, illustrations by Joseph L. Wilker, and published by The Family Album, Valley Forge. All right, and here's a quote on page seven in Roman numerals. If a book comes from the heart, it will contrive to reach other hearts. Mm. Carlisle. Mm-hmm. I want to say welcome to Skysky Rio. He just joined the call. Welcome. Hey, greetings, greetings, Francine. Greetings, man. How are you? How are you? How's everything? Oh, thank you. Um, everything's well. And it's good. Yes. Yes, it's good to have you join us. We have Senator Sherman and Ray. We have Queen Zipporah. It's myself, and then it's you, Skysky Rio. Okay. Hey, Skysky. Hi. Nice to hear you again. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, we just keep missing each other. <laughs> 
So I joined a little late tonight. You know, I had a little a couple of vibes to deal with. Okay. Uh, what, are you are you doing your um your your hour of mm-hmm. ad, advice? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is Queens of Four, and I'm doing I'm reading you know, the anti-Trump art warriors resistance. Yes. And sir. I just yes. And I just read a quote, you know, from page seven and uh of this uh, book called The Family Album. Uh-huh. And I'll reread, all right? And I'll reread the quote since you just came on. And it's called, okay. it says rather, if a book comes from the heart, it will contrive to reach other hearts. Carlisle. Hmm. Yeah, spelled C-A-R-L-Y-L-E. Okay. Is, is this um, Indian literature? Um, American yeah. Indian Yes, you know what? You hit a hammer right on the spot because I'm about to read, you know, an Indian, um, you know, short, um, what do I call it, a short story. Okay. All right. All right. Well, actually, it's a fact. Yeah, yeah so you, you, know, you guessed it correctly. So this one is titled, okay. I Love America. It's on page 83 of Family Album, of The Family Album, rather. I Love America. Okay. I'm proud to be an, quote, original, end quote, American, a Mohawk Indian of the Turtle Clan. I was born in Niagara Falls, New York. In the 15th century, our great leader, Hiawatha, founded and organized the Iroquois Confederacy. Six nations, the Mohawks, Senecas, Onondagas, Cayugas, Onidas, and Tuscaroras formed this confederacy. Mm. I love America. Mm-hmm. I love America because we, the Indian people, had a part in inspiring the ideals of this nation. It is said that George Washington was so impressed by the organization of the Iroquois Confederacy that he sought to pattern his government after the, the democracy of the six Indian nations. Mm-hmm. Columbus did not discover this land. He only discovered our people. The Indians had discovered this beautiful continent centuries before Columbus arrived. It was sacred to them. They respected and protected it. The Indians only took from the land what was necessary for their needs, mm-hmm. bark for canoes, tree splinters for mm-hmm. baskets, wood for bows and arrows, buffalo and deer meat for food, and hide for clothing and teepees. Mm-hmm. They planted corn, mm-hmm. potatoes, pumpkins, squash, and other vegetables, and harvested wild berries and wild rice. There were no fences or boundary lines they shared with one another and welcomed strangers. I love America because when I see its beauty, I think of the great sacrifice our Indian people made for this land. Today we possess a very small portion, yet in spirit, America is still the sanctuary of the American Indian. I love America for giving us schools where we could open up the windows of our minds to the sunlight of new knowledge. We were thankful for what we had learned from our fathers, but we know there was more. Many modern medicines were contributed to science by our Indian doctors and medicine men. Our people spoke more than 200 languages and dialects, so for universal communication, they developed a beautiful sign language, much Mm. as this is now used in a sign language for the deaf. I love America best for giving our Indian people the gospel, for letting the Bible be the book of our land. Now we seek a better Mm. land, quote, whose builder and maker is God, end quote. And this is from Tom Cloth Mohawk. All right, the Mohawk. When was that published, or when when did they make this? Like, 
Hmm. All right. Uh, let me let me. Ch- no, this was a. Let me check the year uh, when this was published. Uh, uh, the year. They have great knowledge, uh, you know, of of the the universe. They have a great connection, the, the Indians and the universe, you know. That's right. They had, they had, you know, more so than we do now. Uh, it, it, it's been, I would like to call it, when you forget your past, mm-hmm. you don't revisit principles. That's right. That made your people great. And that's what we're seeing today. That's where the strength really comes from. But some are starting to revisit now. Some are revisiting those Mm -hmm. uh, values and virtues. And because of that, we're seeing Mm -hmm. a change or transition happening too. Some are waking up to doing these things. It's a whole process. It's basic and as... You know, can contra- a, a great contrast to modern day um, technology. It, it far right. outweighed us by by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. for I, one, they never worshipped uh, uh, technology. Today, no. so many of us worship uh, technology, which is, that I is. believe, it's it's an offense to the divine creator. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it has repercussions. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see so much death and we see so much crime and so mm-hmm. much... Mm-hmm. It's the abuse yeah. of art which is happening in my viewpoint. This Queen's of Forest Elman. Mm. Yes. This is abuse and tyranny. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. We're here. Oh, what are you saying? Yeah. Sir Spittle? No, I'm just saying it's tyranny, you know? Tyranny mm-hmm. and um, like a way of leading leading the, the, the flock mm-hmm. you know, through, through that, you know? And the, the freedom and the truth of, of it all is just eluded. <clears throat> but, but what can you say? You know, it is what it is. You know, we we gotta change with the times. They say, right? So yeah, yeah we and gotta fear. awaken from this slumber. It's a slumber unto death. We continue to allow yes. us to be programmed and conditioned to live by of the norms, which are justified, and that is, we are to love nature love ourselves, love our environment, and love the divine creator. Once we mm-hmm. abandon those virtues and values, we start to see the breakdown of yeah. humanity. And humanity begins yeah, I, to yeah, yeah. act out right. mm-hmm. in a manner which is not humane. We become something different. We become monsters. And we're no longer human mm-hmm. anymore. Right. Welcome it's to the Queen modern Queen. day. Yeah. Right. Queen, yeah. This is Queen Zipporah. I want to, you know, regarding nature. Last Saturday, I went on a hike. I recall that I was walking through the woods, mm-hmm. through these woods, the forest rather. And I was, you know, I was with two other people. And 
And then we was trying to get to where the river was because we saw some people fishing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like literally became Sacagawea. You know, I was walking through the truck and somebody had told us about, you know, what the forest was and all. And so I was looking mm-hmm. to see, you know, where the river went. And then I was like, you know, just followed the trail. <laughs> Are you on your own? Or you, you separated from no, the I group? Had, or? No, it was two other people were with me. Uh, and so they um, went through, you know, it was really nice. And I was uh, standing, um, like, near the, you know, the soil and all. I was standing against the tree, and I felt this tingling in my feet. You know, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was You're like just on the ground. No, I wasn't barefoot. I was, you know, I had, you know, I had my shoes and oh. all whatever one, but um, I um, yeah, I wasn't barefooted, but I, you know, the, you know, that comfort, I guess, with the wood, the forest, you know, the land, you know, mm-hmm. was pulling mm-hmm. out, you know, that negativity from the bottom of my feet. <laughs> yeah, it's true, you know, mm-hmm. it's true. Mm-hmm. Who right. feels it knows it in a way, man. You know, who feels it knows it. No, no, don't care what nobody says. We just had a visit the other day from some UFOs again around here. It's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was disappointed I didn't see them this time, but it was two two great big ones just hanging out, man. They left after about an hour. It was in the day it happened. I normally see them at night, but this one here was. A lot of people saw it, and they were unable to take pictures of it. It, it distorted their phone. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a great reminder, you know, to see how, how um, in mm-hmm. in how what a great space we share, you know, and we're not alone. You know, with... No, I know it sounds crazy to you all, huh? No, not at all. Like um, tonight. We had Shamaya Bay on earlier on this program. He was the feature artist in Spotlight, and he talked about what made him take the path that he's now on in terms of researcher of the esoteric um, science field of study. And he touched on the fact that he had an experience quite similar to what you're talking about, and he resides in North America in New Jersey. when he realized it wasn't a star that he was looking at because it began to move closer to where him and a companion was. Um, He began to communicate with it, and it literally came down from out of the highest point in the sky where it was, and it was like um, down to the level of where the tallest tree was in the area of space where he was located. And he said he looked, Mm -hmm. he saw it with several lights at the bottom. The way he described it, it was a UFO. And he said he cannot explain what he saw. All he knows is he did see what he saw, and he had a witness with him. And he said that yeah. is life. And, and you know what? And this is Queen Ford. And I want to add that Orson Welles, the science fiction reader from the radio, you know, he had caused, you know, problems for not reading a disclaimer before starting his story. And he had, you know, the listeners doing crazy things like oh, killing their, you know, farm animals that. and all these in the 70s or 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or some, yeah. I, I wasn't told a date. I was just... <laughs> yeah, I remember that hysteria, man. Caused mass hysteria. Yeah. 
It's not funny. You don't want to. <laughs> All right, let, me, let me continue on. <laughs> I just want to acknowledge we have um, a caller from Southeast Missouri. Welcome. Welcome, caller from Southeast Missouri. You're on the call. It's just sinister. I had a power issue. I had to call back in, and I didn't have my number. Oh, that's what I see in the chat room. Oh, okay. Thank you. Whenever you want to, you're welcome to chime in. Everyone's input is welcome. Please, Apora. All right, yeah. All right, so I'm going to continue on. All right, and uh, this next um, book is called Seeing Ourselves. Is classic, contemporary, and cross-cultural readings in sociology, fifth edition by John J. Masionis and Nijol V. Benocritus. All right, and so the last name is spelled, the first name is spelled Nijol N like Nancy, I, J as in Joe, O, L, E, V as in Victor, dot, D like boy, E, N like Nancy, O like Al, K like kite, R is written Rita, A is an apple, I is an ice, T as in Todd, I is an ice again, and S as in Sam. All right, so here's the preface, which is on page 15. Okay. Change is one, quote, change is one thing, end quote, Bertrand Russell pointed out, quote, progress is another, end quote. This new edition of Seeing Ourselves brings Russell's words to life. To be sure, the readings in this anthology highlight the many ways our world is changing, but pointing to change is just part of the history. In addition, classroom readings must help students ask questions about the shape of our society. Are social changes involving technology, the economy, international relations, and social movements at home improving quality of life? For whom? What should our goals for the future be? Our purpose in revising seeing ourselves is to present this to students the, the, the many social changes that are shaping their lives, as well as to help them think critically about the kind of world they will build in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Seeing ourselves presents the very best of sociological thought from the work of the discipline's pioneers to the men and women who are doing today's cutting-edge research. The selections explore both U.S. society and global trends. This reader provides excellent material for a wide range of courses, including introductory sociology, social problems, cultural anthropology, social theory, social stratification, American studies, women's studies, and marriage in the family. That's it. You know where I'm stopped at. Want to have any comments or remarks? Well, no, no. Uh-huh. All right. Anybody what else? Is, All right. What, go what, ahead. What is what is your sum- summarization of of that whole um um what you read, Queens of Horror? What, what is the what is the lesson from it all? What what what? Cause All right, so you're so fast. So ba- oh, sorry about the fast reading, but basically, what this you know, 
Um, this book's about seeing ourselves. So basically, it's a you know a mirror, you know of you know what humans behave. Like a reflection. Yeah. Reflection. Yeah. As in terms of of everything, that what we do is a, a is like a a resounding back to us. That's, that's yeah, what it it's reflecting. Yeah, it's reflecting and you know affecting humans. All right, for example, oh. this line. Yes. All right, for example, you know, here's something that stands out. Are social changes involving technology, the economy, international relations, and social movements at home improving quality of life for whom? What should our goals for the future be? Our purpose in revising seeing ourselves is to present to students the many social changes that are shaping their lives as well as to help them think critically about the kind of world they will build in the 21st century. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, be great, great, great light for for those following, especially the younger generations to come. Like yes, that. that's the way you know the continuation. You know, if you continue, you know, like it was positive, it would be positive. If it's negative, it would be negative. But there's both. You have positive and negative oh. is because of the you know the viewpoint, the conditioning. Yeah, and then okay. you want to have you know people clashing, you know, because because each both sides, the positive and negative, are going to believe that you know they're right. Oh, I can see how this and the Indian one before, how they yeah. they kind of blend in and mix in. I I see I see I see my mom. Yeah. Yes, sir. great great um great great um readings. I see what I see I see the the pace. Yes, yeah, the the cause and effect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, right, so. the Maya Bay referred to that as pro-mysticism. Mm. When there are things that happen, which are all connected, mm-hmm. and it can happen spontaneously, meaning it was not pre-planned, nor was anyone trying to make it happen. It's just the universe's way of signaling to you that you are a part of a plan that's larger mm-hmm. and bigger than you are. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's so amazing, man. If I use profanity or to say a bad word and... To, to accentuate it, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it's amazing, the son. That and that word comes to mind, like when you think of things that are amazing or things that are awesome. There you go. It's like it's unexplicably mm-hmm. um, evidence that we're not alone in this universe, and there's someone greater than us. Or there are Who's ahead? powers that are right. in 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 control, powers mm-hmm. governing our lives that are beyond us. They could call it whatever, Miss Hunt. It's one one governing power 
that that every every single one the billions of planets just like us feed off of. Right. Everything has goes to that for the source, the sun. Call it whatever Allah, Jah, God, whatever you might want to call it. But it's even too great for a name. <laughs> right. I like mm. how you said that. That's so factual. Yeah. Too great for a name, Francine. That's right. Mm. And like every tongue has its name for that source. We all have a source. That's what I like to say. A divine creator. We all have a source. Mm-hmm. It's like in the in the physical realm, everything that is a living thing has its mother, mm-hmm. has its parent, has its father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the truth of it all, of it all, in our lowly predicament, and our cry, hoping it would reach, you know. In our waywardness, in our wayward way that we abide, way that we walk and stride, you know, not not us particularly, but true say we all fall short. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't help everyone, and that definitely affects our conscience. But we, we still maintain the hope, you know, that perhaps we all link in, in equal force Mm-hmm. To see the true power that humanity must possess. Yeah. You know, we're probably 90, 98% faltering, where it could be 2%, you know, the falter, and we, you know, we reap, we reap what we truly should be. But perhaps it's so for a reason, you know, because mm-hmm. you can never know good without knowing the bad. That's so we true. must know, we're going to know a lot of good now since there's so much bad. Those who are looking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those who want to see, man, you know what I mean? Kind of. Yeah. Those who are looking going to see it, you know? Yeah. You listen carefully. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. All right, I'm moving right on. All right, so the mm-hmm. next book, this is a continuation of Anti-Trump Art Warriors Resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. All right, so the next... Where <laughs> I got Sky being ready. <laughs> All right, the next book is called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. With the land is a summary. With the land to hold them together, nothing can tear the Logans apart. Why is the land so important to Cassie's family? It takes the events of one turbulent year, the year of the Night Riders and the Burnings, the year a white girl humiliates Cassie in public simply because she is black, to show Cassie that having a place of their own is the Logan family's lifeblood. It is the land that gives the Logans their courage and pride, for no matter how others may degrade them, the Logans possess something no one can take away. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logan. Logan, yes. What is that? 
That's the uh, family's last name. Oh. Mm-hmm. In America? Like yes, in Mississippi. Yeah, in Mississippi. Yeah, in Mississippi. Oh. And referring to a specific family uh, name in that article, yeah. just using the Logan in general. Oh. Yes. So the Logan is a fictional family. Right. Yeah, the Logan, yeah. They're the fictional family. With the only family in the, in the Great Depression era of America, they were the only family in Mississippi, the only black family with their own land. But they really? had to fight to keep it, yes. Whoa. They had to fight to keep it, yes. Logan. Logan, got to yeah. research them and look them up. But we got to remember um, a lot of our ancestors own land here because they were the indigenous aboriginal first people here. Before the English came to North, South, and Central America because they came here not owning anything. They came here literally as beggars. So what? Yeah, and having to start a new life. Just going right. for having to start a new life in a new country. Had no idea of how to cultivate the land. They learned what they know now from the indigenous, the natives, the aboriginal, the first yeah. were here. So, yeah, the Moors. I'm yeah. here. Moors and America. Native American Moors. They never did anything to make America great. America was already inhabited when they got here. Yeah. That's right. So when you hear statements by um, like Trump or whoever, white-skinned people, and I'm not being racist in saying this, mm-hmm. when they make these um, grandiose statements like they're going to make this country great, beware of that talk mm-hmm. because they're not the first to come to this land. They never mm-hmm. set up or established anything first. The original people set up and established government here were dark-skinned people. They were not Mm white-skinned people. So those white-skinned people that are saying stuff like that, they speak with forked tongue. The first president of America, more. Yes, John Hanson. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and he was a more. He was a a native. about the nations Mm -hmm. that were the first to establish mm-hmm. government as we know government to be. They were native. They were indigenous yeah. people. None of them were from England. None of them were European. So we need not fall into this. Don't get tripped up by Trump or any anybody when they say they're going to make this country great again. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. They don't know the first of how to do that. Mm-hmm. It's the original people that have that true knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. And the I mean, ones aren't of that of that ancestry, they borrow what wisdom and knowledge they have from those original people and yeah. their descendants. What, yeah, and Queen Francis, Queen of the Poor, <clears throat> President John Hanson was a Native American Moor. He was from the Shawnee, the Maryland Shawnee Nation. Mm-hmm. So, see, we really have, there's a lot of history. We need to do some more study and research Mm -hmm. to learn for our own sake. 
because we should know this. A lot of us, we are descendants of these people, and we should know this history. And if we're relying on white Americans to teach us our history, we're wrong. We need to go and do the digging and do the study and do the research and find out our history for our own yeah. It is not yeah. uh, to do that for us. Yeah. And Queen Fran, this is Queen Zafor. Yeah, I want to add, too, is that I was filling out an application form for this, uh, this black, a black woman. And mm-hmm. so I under the race section, culture section, I checked black. It was black slash African-American. I circled black and checked it. And then I also um, circled American Indian and checked it. And I gave it to the person. And they looked at American Indian too, or some kind of way. They said, "Mm-hmm, mm-hmm." We can do that, you know. In other words, if you have that heritage, you can start doing that if you're not already doing it. Mm-hmm. You should, you should find it out anyway. What, what, what this nation was built on was one of the greatest acts of genocide that planet's ever known, and the, the Indian people are. Far, far vast and beyond even back then than we could ever be in, in taking care of what is given to you. Mike is right, Terry. Tribes around here for, uh, to join some of their, their spirit quests and they're, they're just getting back to nature. I need to get back to myself. And in doing that, I have to ground the earth. Mm-hmm. The people yeah, I was... Uh, mm-hmm. This Queen's support of me, and there's another person we're meeting with a third person. So when the meeting was over, I asked them, was it over? And they said, I said, the powwow is now over. And they said, oh, just as I was starting to enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what we have to do is get back to our roots and our true heritage. And it doesn't take a lot. All you have to do is find out there's Groups, actually, within every city and within every state, Mm -hmm. groups that Mm -hmm. are made up of indigenous and natives, Mm -hmm. and they will welcome you if you really want to know about your true heritage and you don't already know. And for some of us, we need to speak to the elders in our villages or in our communities, and we can find that Mm -hmm. information out. And some of us, we don't go to family reunions and talk to the elders that have that knowledge, but we need to and learn a lot from them. Sometimes take a recorder and just ask them questions, record it, document it, get that wisdom, get that knowledge, because you then become like a living library, a walking, talking encyclopedia, and you can pass that down your next it's generation. Imperative. It's imperative. And I had bought, yeah, I had bought this, this Queen's of I bought this T-shirt that had these wolves on it, and people look at it and they comment on how they like it. The boy is something else. And the native enemy. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of people aren't aware that the knowledge about the animal totems and all of that. That should be, like, we should know that, like, the back of our hand. People who are of indigenous ancestry should know this wisdom, like the back of your hand, the wisdom of the natural medicine. 
the homeopathic yeah. uh, way of healing, dealing with the yeah. herbs. Yeah. Mm. No, Imagine how nice it would be. You know, it's no choice not to know it. Why are we not as endowed with that knowledge as we could be? Because some of us don't discipline ourselves. Do seek to know it. And there's powerful resources. There's elders in your community. There's people that you can glean this wisdom from. But you have to discipline yourself and say, you know what? I want to know, so I'm going to go to the elders in my community and find this information out. There are those that they will share. They will tell you, even in your own family, that you can go to and find out this information. Mm-hmm. And it won't cost you one red or brown cent. <laughs> hmm. You know, we go to these Almost colleges strength. and these universities and we become educated fools. They teach us to trick us. They literally teach us what they know will disrupt our minds in such a way where we become corrupt. They give us just enough to 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 make us mentally defunct, dysfunctional. <laughs> we gotta come out of that system. Yeah. You know what? And speaking of colleges and universities, you know the live and survive. Yeah. Rise. Yeah. All right. This is our Queen Zipporah. Queen Philippa of England was was the country's first black queen. I think Oxford University was named after her. But you can look it up online. What was her name, Zipporah? Queen Philippa. She Philippa? was England's first Philippa. Yes, yeah, she was England's first black queen. I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. She yeah, I'm looking it up. Or the yeah. first black. Yeah, she was the first black queen. And um, there no others before her. I mean, as far as queens. No, wait, I'm looking her up now. I know there were many. Uh, they called them the, the okay, we know the Moors. Mm-hmm. Um, they were intermarried. They um, intermarried with your Europeans and English. So a lot of your nobility of Europe literally was black. Back yeah, then, that was it. during the time where one drop of black blood, mm-hmm. they classified you as black or more. They used the word more. Yeah. Shakespeare, and, uh, here. Yeah. in his literature, the word more was used to reference people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that history, and you can do the research yourself, call it the black nobility of Europe. Mm-hmm. A lot of your kings, queens, duchess, dukes, they were black. They were of more descent, and they there were in, there was intermarrying, just like Queen Charlotte. They were just light complected, but if you looked at their phenotype, you could tell, you know, they had Moorish blood running through their veins. Oh, yeah, here it is. Objective. Um. Sorry. Yeah, what are you saying, Skysky? I was just wondering what's the the objective of this this group 
that's trying to inhibit the the collaboration of so many different people on on just one small planet. Not just that, but the 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 other other worlds. Why why are they trying to stop that? I mean, I, oh, I could imagine yeah. with, with the harmony. With the harmony it's we would have, I, I, there's, there's no doubt we we would be. Wow, that's just so advanced. I don't it's understand. Called, uh, yeah, and this is Queen Zipporah. It's called fear. Who is the masses who are, who are so fearful? I mean, they're the ones who outnumber everyone else. Who, who are these people? Well, they don't outnumber us. They're just the ones that have control banks. And the money. Control, right. They control, like, your banks. They control um, government, parliament. You want to be frank? Um, they have power. Mm-hmm. And so their affluence and wealth is what gives them governship authority. Mm-hmm. They're not majority. The true majority are the people that are, unfortunately, they're just sleeping and not aware of who they really are yet. Mm-hmm. Because once you wake up, that's what I liked about the Lion King um, uh, animation. <laughs> the show, once he realized that he was really a king, he went back home and he took what was his. He ain't asked for nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. When we finally wake up and realize who we are mm-hmm. and the power really is to the people. It's not the yeah. 1% and the leaders. But once the people, yeah. when the people finally wake up and start acting mm-hmm. like you have power and start acting like you know your rights, then they won't be able to do this game they've been doing and playing with our lives for, for ages. Yeah, yeah, when you start to do it, that's when arguments happen. This is Queens of Four. That's when arguments happen, when you start speaking, you know, your true nature. And, you, uh, and then they start, you know, fighting, you know, with the brainwashing. Yeah, man. There's enough. There's enough, man, sustenance. I mean, there's enough land to grow enough food, and there's enough food to feed everyone. There's no reason why this great planet Earth should have people living in poverty. There's a name for it. It's called the depopulation agenda. Um, When you look it up, you can do some research on your own, but look up depopulation agenda, and you'll find out why these wars, why a lot of stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. That happens. There is a depopulation yeah. agenda mm-hmm. underway. They think we're stupid. They think we're blind or something. Yeah, and you know, uh, this is Queens before, and I was saying to somebody, you know, about what the whole depopulation agenda, but I explained it differently than what Queen Fran has said, and I said, now, I said, what I'm going to say next may sound crazy, <laughs> but, you know, I was correct. Mm. I was explaining, you know. Yeah, it's an actual, it's it's real. They're actually teaching it now in some universities and colleges that there is a depopulation agenda and that it has been underway for years. Mm-hmm. 
in full effect now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is Queen Zipporah Thelman. I'm going to sign off for tonight. Okay, Queen Zipporah. Thanks so much for the article shared. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask, does anyone have any poems? Because this is National Poetry Month. If anyone has a poem or poem, yeah. they like now is fine. You're welcome. The mic is now in your hands. All right. Good night, everyone. Bye. Good night, Queens of Port. Good night. Good night. You'll Bless return it. next Tuesday. Yeah. Bless it home. All right. Bye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Someone has a poem. Now is time. Yeah, I got one. Mm-hmm. I have to grab my phone. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, I just wrote one tonight, actually. And uh, I was hoping you would uh, take the poem to be read. Yes, indeed. This is National Poetry Month. I must pay homage to the literary artists in the room, on the call, and in our universe. Yes, indeed. Yes. I'm a... Right on. Uh, appreciate that. Okay, well, whenever you're ready, I can, uh, I'll read this. Yes, I'm ready. The mic is now in your hands. Gone. Missing a king. I am not shattered fragments of nebula forgotten in a storm. So broken and fractured, this vessel is at every possible seam. Tarnished my exterior, it though even still no match for the corrosion inside. Shamble of a man that lost direction somewhere in between life and dreams. My sorrow is the runoff of anger's disruptive, ignorant play. Running wild behind my own solely funeral mask, I set out attacks. No comedian behind these blue eyes, but a fool is true as implied. Can't reason the distance where my center dissipated into the black. Mm. Impervious to my own illustrated depictions on perspectives of the grand eye. You're not a victim, but expendable collateral damage in this nightmare unleashed. How do you not sever the instances when flagrantly given such a chance? It, that's a reason I'm not a hold of, nor worthy the restraint. I failed you, in fact. Your king is lost in the chasm of self-inflicted, destructive, lunatic grants. My life I give eternal to rectify what I've destroyed, pain I've deployed. I will give you the kingdom reassembled. I promise you I'll push through the gaps. Bring back the man you once knew. Light these eyes in your loving hues. For you, my queen, I would tear through time to give you the king back. Wow, that was a power piece. You said you wrote that tonight? Yeah. Awesome. I like it. Yeah, a lot was in that piece. I heard Nebula. Um, I heard about the... um, not being a victim, but collateral damage in this nightmare unleashed. 
I heard a lot of things there. This powerful piece is supposed to do a lot of a lot of what's now evident in as well as what's real in general in our universe. I like that ending because that ending said something having to do with, I think, of nature itself, in a sense, um, that reunion of humanity, nature, it's like a marriage. Um where we we acknowledge nature as mother and our universe father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so much there, but it had a lot to do with the two energies, like the male and the female energies coming together and uniting, like that war ending. That that, you know, sex sexism um not being a reality anymore, but a unification. And you remember that point, Francine, that one time it was just you and I on the show. It was a night, and you had kind of said a poem. I can't really remember, but it was very much pertaining to what we're talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. It was one that you said you don't really, you didn't publish or, or something. Right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna have to go back and find that because I did eventually write it down. You remember it, right? It's not something that I've done at an open mic yet. I've done it on this show and maybe one other show. It was about a year ago. Right. Mm-hmm. But I really like um sinister. That was a, that was quite appropriate too for tonight's show. It's true. It was nice, man. Very deep, powerful. That's Might you have another poem, or does you tune in for the right reasons? You know, things happen and, and fall into place crazily, mm-hmm. but also the right purpose. Yeah, I'm a stickler for um, believing in that that there's a season, there's a time, even for writings, for certain pieces to be uttered. And when it's done in its season, the effect is great or greater. Mm. Especially sporadically, too. Do you have another piece, Sinister? I think it's... uh, I'm not funny, but coincidence to say the war is over. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I read a piece last night I had not read in a while, and uh, it's kind of a prelude to this piece. Okay. But one another piece, I can read that one. Yes. The floor is open, and the mic is now returned to your hands. Sinister Spittle, everyone, here and enjoy. Losing the war of love, attrition's death. Which extremes will the war set stake when the doors come flying off? Years stretch like overused strands of nylon, cutting the core of a decimated disaster. Mm. 
Cerebral canals itch violently, anticipating storms. Monsters, restless, wanting to devour you. Deplorable, raffish transactions absorb reason. Spun updraft and devilish tsunami-sized rants. Maniacal, metaphysical atrocities shipped from derelict plague-addled ports of insanity. Far removed from relatable is your retaliation. Diagenic, relentless fuel to arson-led fires. Stretching my safety just to push through a ledge. My swan dive to finite, deplorable ends. Can you stand about face to witness crucifixion on all variables, four degrees from truth and lies? So bright the disdain and lowest wattage showing homicidal instigations brimming to a head. Scholar, you and short-sighted of what's the mess. In broken reasonings, soft-headed am I. Inhaling liquid vapors to rationalize this control you imagine secure. Always, though, just elusive. Remorse is tattered blankets burnt. Bloodied sheets of discarded embryos and nebula. Mm. Long since lost faith in mystery as well as myself. Approaching ill-fated paradigms realigned. Omens found in reactions to this rash, odious acts of externalization, not quite in denial. Weighing me, weighing me down more, not even a need to try as I'm sideswiped by all the spite. Keys to free my agonizing prison, a razor, cut me free from this mortal confined, find release. And just the countless decisions I regularly find a lack of worth I truly don't possess. Slip on shiny walkways, covered in our vile engagements till I no longer care to smile. I do, my love. Hope only lies and suicide and peace. Mm-mm-mm. Mortal combat comes to mind. We are at war. We are at war within ourselves and without. Um, this is definitely a time of war in our universe right now. So many opposing forces are in combat. And we've got to make sure that we're covered in this battle that we're in because if we're not, we're vulnerable and we can become a casualty in this war. Um, That poem said a lot. Skysky, you want to comment? Um, this I'm still taking it in. Mm-hmm. It was very intense, intense and deep. Very intense. Mm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I liked it, man. I, I liked it. Like I'm all, I'm overly intense. Too much, too much so sometimes. Um, but you know. Uh, like you said, we're at war, and uh, when we can't stand the war outside or before we want to challenge the war outside, we've got to make sure we're right. And for some people, that becomes a war to make sure that's a feasible thing, you know? I mean, I think we're we're the almost like the last frontier in a sense as artists. We're on that front line. Um, a lot of times we're literally 
the ones to initiate when a war should end or when a war is necessary. A lot of times it is the artists that speak out and advocate for justice when no one else has the courage to do it. Mm. Unfortunately, artists are often abused and not fully appreciated in our world today. Mm. Now we're starting to notice the artists are being on call again. You notice even presidents now, when they have special ceremonies, they want a poet to recite a poem. This is all evidence that once more there's that awakening that artists rely on muses, and muses are classified as inspiration of the divine. So they acknowledge that we are able to speak, and it is a sacred message that we deliver as artists, whether we're aware of that or not. So as artists, I think we need to have more respect for our gift and value it better. And then when we are in process of our delivery, when we are speaking and representing that which is sacred, we can do it in its proper context. I do think that being an artist is a calling. I don't think it's something that you volunteer to become. However, there are those that literally study art. That doesn't make you an artist. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. Just because you went to school and you took a couple of classes in art, that does not make you innately an artist. Amen. I an artist. I really believe that. Just like some people are natural-born leaders. And being an artist is greater, I think, than many people even realize. Because you're able to speak to the very soul of another and touch the soul of another individual where others can't even surmise doing that. And some are not willing to go there. Artists are willing. Artists die every time they perform. We mortify ourselves as artists. We literally die. We rip our hearts out. We tear our chests open. We expose our brain, our mind, our beautiful mind. <laughs> we we literally die on the stage every time we perform because we don't know anything else but to bear all and to be truthful witnesses. Being an artist is not easy. And yes, we are not always appreciated. That's why we have to first to your own self be true. Because if you don't love who you are as an artist, you're going to be lost in this sea of people and humanity where not many have regard for the artist any longer. And that's my piece. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for anyone that will hold up a pen or a pencil and say, I'm a writer, or I affirm 
myself as a scribe because I know the journey. I know the process. I understand it. I've lived it. I eat it. I sleep it. It is not easy. It's not pretty. And when you take on that responsibility, it's great. And you've got to be true to yourself. You're not going to be true to yourself. You might as well just throw away all of your writing tools and say, I'm just going to study what it means to be a writer, but I'm not going to be a writer. Hmm. That's interesting. You can study all you want. You're never going to experience it. That's it. You can study it, but there's a difference from being something and studying it. Mm. I think, you know, you're dead on with it's a calling. It, it is a, it's just it's something that's in you or it's not. Mm-hmm. Be inspired by right. studying art, but you're never going to connect it unless it's there. That's right. And, and then your audience is going to know that. They know a real artist, a real artist from someone that's just a copy, a carbon copy of something they read, something they heard, or something they saw someone else do. When you're able to make that connection with your audience, that's a soul to soul. Only a true artist does that. A wannabe, they'll get on a stage. And they'll go through mm-hmm. the antics and the, and the emotions, but there's no real connection. And the mm-hmm. audience can't really applaud that. It's almost like, all right, well, they did something, so I'll give them one clap. I'll snap my fingers once. They have a saying for it in the islands, you know, it's called give Jack his jacket. There you go. Give Jack his jacket. I like that. I'm going to have to start using mm-hmm. that. Tim <laughs> 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 Jack his jacket myself. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm one. I tell you what I uh, you know a lot of things we were talking about. You, you were talking about this evening. It just so spot on to me. Uh, you get tuned in mm-hmm. when you're wrong and you're off center. Everything speaks to you. That's right. Tells you what what you need. Not that I don't already know, but it's being belligerently loud. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It probably smacked me upside the head if it did. It it is a lot of what you say. It's what separates the two. Uh, Not only two individuals, but the person themselves and the two hemispheres of one. That's right. Juxtapose those instances uh, on all occasions. And I have been giving me uh, a new for a mission I was working on. I was working on another chapter. Oh, hey, help yourself. Floor is open. The mic is in your hands. Uh, this chat book I was originally going with... Uh, was going to be titled Suicide Notions and Intoxicated Relief, and it was 
going to be all uh, poems on, on either or. But the title I like, the direction I don't think I need to do, not this time, that to continue on later down the line, make suicide notions, benefit suicide awareness and stuff is fine, and it will be a lot in the book. But this last year of my life has been artistically phenomenal, although personally mm. tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have written pieces of my life for this year. Yes. I'm losing the direction on the book just being about suicide. I like the title. Mm-hmm. I like the title. Um, that's, that's kind of been my year. You know, last year and a half, it's all been suicide notions and, and really and, and epiphanies, but that doesn't fit in there. So I'm going to take all these pieces and submit them as a chapbook. Okay, it's a chapbook. I hear that. A year in the life of a poet living art. Mhm. That sounds like a smart move too. To submit them, submit it as a chapter book. Um, and I think that's good advice. Someone listening to what you just said tonight, that's in limbo. Now they have their answer because you were willing to share from your own experience. Limbo is so, and it, 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 you gotta figure out what's gonna get you through it and find that and make it happen. But um, it doesn't all have to be for loss. That's right. Because I have noticed many times this year, and not only in my podcasting, but in my writing and other things, I've helped other people get through the same thing I'm writing about, or have just passed through, and and it's helped them. And uh, why not? share it, and it, 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 I doubt it will be a success, nothing I do is, but it will be out there, and it might just help somebody. Mm-hmm. Why not? And ultimately, success is when you reach your goal, whatever your goal is. Sometimes we think that if we don't do the X, Y, and Z, we're not successful. But if you reached your goal, if your goal was to publish the work and to have a target audience, which you find you did achieve, and to be able to sell your books online in ebook format as well as paperback, and also to be able to promote your works um, via an open mic venue and you're doing that, that's success. Whatever your goals are, you set your goals. Don't let other people set them for you because then to your own self, you're not being true. I set my own goals too lofty most of the time. And just accept. You can also say it's a work in progress. Look, I haven't reached all of the goals that I have set yet, but I have reached these, so I'm still yet making progress. There you go. But don't count yourself out and say, I'm not successful, because then that's discouraging. Don't discourage your soul. Encourage your soul. Well, I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. I need to, to revitalize my soul. My soul is, 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 is 
crying it, 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 it is a part of me. I am a man apart, and mm-hmm. I have been attempting to piece together in my writings, and I'm doing so now in art on acrylic. And, but I need to tap into more, and keep. And I'm constantly, and I'm still pursuing. I'm pursuing and pursuing, and I'm, I'm finding new contacts and finding new ways and. It, my spiritual being is shattered and it has to get back to So you're in that healing mode right now. That's a good thing. It's better to heal and to heal slowly but surely than to rush it and not be altogether whole and then to go out there and launch a project and you're not fully healed because that can be a devastating impact as well. So just pace yourself. Work at your own pace. Don't let anyone dictate to you when you should do what. You know, because you'll know from within, your soul will be ready when it's time. Um, Well, it's just like this this entry. I I dialed back like two months ago. I just really stopped uh, putting it together and... I'd work on it here and there, but it just didn't. I wasn't feeling it. There was something missing, and mm-hmm. that missing piece has come to light. So you know, uh, it's not all ready yet, but it, things happen for a reason. I'm big on cosmic guru. You know, uh, the, the, the synergy of the planet is such for a reason, and right. we take for granted the simple things that really balance us. Um, and that's why so many people are unbalanced because it's all false. And the question for you: Are your do you use some of your art as illustrations in this book? I think I should. I think you should too. That uh, could be the missing piece. Yeah, you, you brought that up to me last time we spoke, and, and uh, I've been gnawing on that, and um, I have. All sorts of stuff that I've written. I mean, there's 21 that I can't use because they're already in a book, but mm-hmm. I have tons of them. And slowly but surely, I put them in um, post. You know, the frames for posters. Uh, okay. I I hang them up on my wall. I put the ones that yep. are really really good inside the frame. It keeps them protected mm-hmm. and they can age appropriately. And they hang on my wall. My wall and my bedroom is covered. Uh, some people might do just, uh, you know, <laughs> gluttonous or not, uh, self-centered, but I, my walls are covered in my own art. Because mm-hmm. I believe your art speaks and testifies of a lot of probably what you testify of in your work, in your written work itself. So if you have that art, that could be that missing piece. Yeah. Some illustrations of your art, some pictures included in your book. Definitely. Uh, like, I was talking to my wife last night that one I have on my door is, is two poster boards. It was the first acrylic work I ever did. And, mm-hmm. and the first one was the alien, and the alien is holding a mushroom in one hand and his hand on a, like, a TNT detonator, a detonator for a bomb, and the other. Interesting. That imaging is very, very symbolic. Mushroom, and then the other hand um, on a bomb. Yeah. 
Is it to detonate a bomb or to... to detonate a bomb, yes. Okay. And about like the mushroom cloud of that, you know, that bomb and the destruction of that, but an actual mushroom literally is not no, evil. It's like I told my wife, it's a Property. choice. Right now you have to choose life or death. Mm-hmm. Antioxidants in it. So it's environmentally friendly. There's a lot of imaging. I like that. That could make a good uh, cover, too, illustration. Yeah, could. I'm eager to get some more poster board like that because I did this other piece that actually went right on, uh, that I put on top of it and mm-hmm. done together, but they work together because the uh, it, it's a sign over buildings and it's a curvy sign of which way do you go, but it's colorful and it's life. And then there's a box like a uh, old cassette tape uh, that's got music. And then the other two sides are kind of like darker. And there's one side I still have to fill in, but that that's like the life and death aspect of the choice below. Right. More that I'm going to do on that one, but um, how the two came together was rather intriguing because they were done at separate times, but they were both done under black light. So you, looking at the picture is really neat looking at it, but if you turn on the black light, it's totally different. Different. Mm-hmm. I painted it under black light. So the colors that I painted in aren't the ones you see in normal light uh, because they change, you know. Uh, it was an interesting uh, experience and journey. Yeah, it seems like your art is, is quite intuitive. Um, it speaks volumes. You definitely have to do something with that picture with the alien holding the mushroom and then detonating the bomb. That could make an excellent book cover illustration. Or just, yeah, just anything in the, in the book itself. I had originally, well, see, and maybe that, maybe it's supposed to be, I had originally done a cover for Suicide Notions. Oh, okay. Charcoal and pencil, and I like it. Um... But it was, again, when it was drawn, it was drawn in a different mind frame for a different mm-hmm. book. So you bring a good point up. You really do. I'll, yeah. send you, I'll message you a picture later of that. Uh, yeah, I would definitely like to see that. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, hey, that's what this platform was created to do, for artists to collaborate, for projects to be fulfilled and completed. And I think every time we have a show, it's always someone that it was a missing, like you said, a missing piece, a missing piece that they needed. And they acquire that, and then they're able to launch their project not too long after. So this is what we're about. This is what this show was created for, and I'm glad to see it happening. That's my joy. That's like, that's my pay. <laughs> doing this show. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. We niche out what, what, what needs to happen, and when it happens, it's just... That's really right. That it is. I understand. Well, um, in closing, I'm going to give my final remarks, then Sinister Spittle, you can give your final remarks or a poem, and then we'll hear from Skyski, and we'll wrap up this week's show, and we'll be back on this same network next 
Tuesday. And I'll share what mm-hmm. expected for that show. <clears throat> I'm going to just close in saying two things. Live well. Those are those are my two words for everyone. I'm speaking blessings. Live well to all. And I'm going to pass the mic now to Sinister Spittle, and then he can pass it to Skyski Rio, and we will sign off for the night. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to finish with the poem, if that's all right. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I said what separates the two, kind of in leeway to this poem, and kind of what separates the two. Pulsing vibrations run rampant in self-indulgent flounderings of human nature. Be a woman or man. Opposed by autocratic inertia of evolutionary lapse, a redundant occurrence of what once had set plans. Thwart intuition, scholarly rhetoric, attentive stimuli which one expects to divert such deviant fleeting. Broken now is laughter echoing in solitude's box left unattended in such unwelcoming terrain. Somewhere between comatose and the vibrant, it got lost. Mm. And spinning sideways, we're stuck. Memories, those ghosts you coddle when there's no one left to reason your influence at hand. Moments that twist visual inceptions to dark scenery, shadowed in chromatic sepulchres on citadel drums. Attempting to ascertain decrepit cohesion spewed about a reality, you can no longer feel the impact. Mm. Some would revel in such bounty found in willed solace of separation and cerebral canyons so vast. Your insight in atrocious onslaught of adder-infused allegations of why the fear is where you now stand. Analyzed in solitary abandon of which fires fray, you empowered this personal hell addressed. Rather dire stipulations ensnared these nuances, filing quagmires running deplorable and fractured minds. Sporadic be the trails of clandestine hues floating into an abyss, one of such means you must follow infinitely. In attempting to proceed on something so surreal and true, the reasoning avoids the instance you complete. Breaking static ions, cue a quota of fortitude, run flat. Passing a statue you no longer possess, shy that zen. Mm. I, however, only see the psychophon. You always were indeed a plight of grounded derisions, fought to be grand. Hmm. Crashing infestation of intolerable instances, once serene, now only a graveyard of lost meanings without track. Stake the vision in territories of which I take the greatest. I don't flaunt of my excellence over your excremental scraps. Welcome you running in self-loathing, dying instance, writhing on lakes of fire, burning that soul you tossed. Bright fusions shatter the moments now lost. It is here, and what became, which separates the two. And peace. Ow. Mm. Mm-mm-mm.
a lot, a lot, a lot is said. You really, I could feel even the passion, the emotion going forth as you were delivering that piece. Um, it speaks to, I would say, the conscience of every man and woman. Um, it's something relevant because right now, we have to literally come raw to get people to acknowledge the air of their ways. If we don't come raw at them, they're going to blow, it's going to blow over, right over their heads, whatever we tell them. And it can be the right something. So we got to come raw. We got to literally quake and shake the foundation of their soul. So we got to come hard. We gotta say, look, me. This is you. This is what is wrong. This is um, okay. This is where we need to get to. But we're only here right now. So we need to do X, Y, and Z and get over this hump so that we can all make it onto the other side. Because as long as we stay where we are now, we're not evolving. We stun our growth. And so nothing gets resolved. There's no real remedy. And that's what that piece was about to me. And also saying, look, we're dying every day. And some of us are dying. Our souls are like dead. We're, we're, we're soulless because we allow ourselves to become that conditioned and programmed. And we got to come back to life. We need to be resuscitated. And only truth and realism can do that for us. Mm-hmm. Only those two foundations. Thank truth you. Realism. Can I say thank you because you're spot on with that poem. I, I, I question the times that people think it's about a relationship. And it is, but it's not about two people. It's about mm-hmm. one person and doing exactly that because until you do those things with yourself, you can't address someone that way. And people like to address people that way, but they don't take the first step. And mm-hmm. that's what that is about, taking that first step. That's right. We can't neglect ourselves in the process when we call ourselves helping somebody else. If we're neglecting ourselves, who do we really help? Nobody. Nobody. But, Nobody. I mean, you can't you can't call someone out either when you can't call yourself out. When you can't look in the mirror and say this is this is how fucked up I am. Right. And this is what I can do to fix it. And, and you're not going to be, be fixed by any means by the time you address someone uh, if it needs to be done. But at least you've already taken account for yourself mm. and started mm. the process. And it, without doing that, your words mean nothing. That's true. That's true. You've got to keep it real. If we're not engaged in realism 24-7, we're only fading out. We're not evolving. We're fading out. And so many people, it's like that light bulb, you know how it's like you can tell it's getting ready to go out. It starts getting real, real bright, and then it starts getting dim. Then it flickers a little, and you hear that sound. That's 
what's happening with a lot of people. At low wattage. Ignoring the signs. Yep, they're ignoring the signs. But for they're completely, totally dead, soul dead, those signs are evident. Yeah, I mean, I had that instance the other day. I shared a poem. It's called Evolutionary Entanglement. And someone was, I like the poem, but I don't get the, I don't see the the correlation with evolutionary involvement. And I said, uh, people change every day. If you're evolving, then what's the point? Now, you also have to keep in mind, we have an English language that's vast in origin and and. and, and I take liberation there because I look further into a word, and, and I look more into a word. Also, I'm not going to use fucking change just because it's more convenient for you. Right. Right. A language that's rich and abundant, use it and, and relish in it. I mean, fuck, stop being just a sheep mm. Mm. shuffling along. You're, right. you're not evolving. I guess you didn't catch it, did you? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> uh, Bill Hicks was very uh, smart in, in his comedy about that. I call him humanitarian over comedian because uh-huh. it, 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 much the same. And that's why I guess I, where I get a little bit of my sar- sarcastic wit and humor in my pieces, regardless mm-hmm. of the darkness, because you have to laugh at it. That's right. <laughs> it is flip side of tragedy is comedy. They're both muses. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. If you have one without the other, there's a lack. There's a deficit. There's an imbalance. And it'll catch up to you. Yep. Yes, it will. And it'll hurt when you fall. Mm-mm-mm. We speaking some hardcore truth on this platform tonight. I'm so happy. And I'm going to post the link the archive link on tomorrow. So anyone that missed out, they'll be able to tune into the archive, visit the archive link, and they will be so... This is this is what I call soul food right here. What, what we've been hearing, all the dialogue that's happened on this platform tonight, it was all soul food. This is good. This is what the world needs. This is This is what's going to heal the world. And if we continue to have uh, platforms, radio shows like this, I know Senator Spittle is about it, uh, Kane Spade, DSR, um, Mr. Boston, Matt Scribes, Lady of Love, so many. Um, if we continue to do what we do every time we have our radio show platforms, we can heal and, and, and help where help is much needed. And that's what this is all about. It's not about who has the best anything because we all need each other. And it's about us supporting each other. We got to support each other because if we don't support each other, the artist community won't last. And we want it to last into a new millennium in the, in the next generation. And it's possible. And it takes all of the artists uniting and being a united front, and we can do this. They're cutting funding for a lot of the arts programs in our schools, um, the funding for a lot of arts programs in our communities. 
So it's going to be these underground um, cells, whether it's radio shows, ham radio, um, small little venues, storefronts, what have you, that's going to keep hope alive for the artists. And that's what it's coming down to. I just got accepted to the Step Up the Leadership program, and the, once I uh, finish it, I get a $500 bond, and I'm going to put it towards uh, a uh, artistic program for teenagers and young adults. Wow. People like Sinister Spittle, who don't mind giving, this is what's going to keep hope alive for the artists of the next generation. Because right now, the government is literally saying they don't see the relevance of funding these programs. They don't see the evidence that these programs are relevant to families. That's a bunch of (laughs) you-know-what. But just because they can buy their own personal art galleries doesn't mean mm-hmm. they have fucking taste. You know, uh, the key in point is the uh, heiress of Walmart. You know, more than the Met is her personal collection. Here we go. Ensure uh, that. More than the Met. And it's all crap, I guarantee you. But mm-hmm. uh, that's ridiculous. It's a sin. It's a crime. White collar crime is crime in general. Yeah. It is. Well, I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Sinister Spittle. Thank you to Sky Ski Rio. All the support, all the contributions. And Sky Ski, we're going to hear from you. And then we're going to wrap up tonight's show. And I'll give a little preview of what to expect on next Tuesday. Oh, I don't have much to say, you know, Francine. Just the shalom, namaste, you know. Mhm. Along the mask and the peace and love, and you know everything good, prosperity in the forward for everyone. You know. Yes. Yeah. Much so said. Much said. We appreciate you. You give us inspiration. You're calling from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Just letting us know yeah. that listened to and heard across the waters, and we appreciate you. We're neighbors, we're family, and we're looking Mm -hmm. forward to um, setting things up so we can have a voyage to the Virgin Islands. We're going to have a group of us go, and it'll be for everyone, and we'll do a show, a live recording there. Looking forward Mm -hmm. to it. This year, right? Sometime this year? We're definitely going to aim for this year, and hopefully we can get it done. If not, we definitely want to do it for spring of 2018. Oh. Yep, definitely the springtime. We're not going to wait till the summer if we have to go okay. now. You know, Link up and we'll get it all set up. You guys are safe once you come, man. There's so much to do. We missed out, you know, this, this week they had the Taste of St. Croix where a bunch of, you know, all the, the, the chefs and all the restaurants come together. Oh, and have, yeah. How about that? Yeah, that, that was just two days, three days ago. Wow. Oh, about a, well, maybe more than that, but, you know, there's a lot of, lot of things happening, cultural things. I, I, I think you guys would really enjoy coming here. 
Yes, we're looking forward to it. We're definitely going to do it. We just, right now we have to, um, with scheduling, you know, a lot of people uh, with work and other uh, things they already pre-planned for this year, it's a little hectic for us to do okay. it right right away, but we're going to get it done. We're going to get Even it. if you want to, you can come on your own friends and you don't have to, you know, just to get a taste for them, and maybe the next year you could bring your friend. Or just you, you and your, your, you know, bring your family, and you guys just come mm-hmm. for a, a little while, and then you could assure everyone else that it's a, it's a nice thing. Because I'm sure going by a whim, it might be a little rough. So if you come and scope it out first, mm-hmm. check out the lay of the land, and perhaps we, we could talk to some people who might make it a, a like a larger platform. Right. I hear you. Well, definitely we're we're going to get it done just a little right now. Mm-hmm. I'm hectic with a lot of, I'm uh, in process of being a member of a focus group. We're getting our LLC. I'm also okay. in process of doing the, um, getting all the final touches done for the Exceptional School Show live show. And I'm in mm-hmm. negotiations with a venue to have the show do an open mic once a month. So there's a couple of things on my plate right now that are business matters right. that to get done here first and then the travel. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to doing that. Okay. Well, when you're ready, just, you know, link me up. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, link me up. Get it all set up for you. If I could, I'd be there tomorrow. I'm doing vacation shit. <laughs> Woo! Uh-huh. Uh, exciting stuff, though. Awesome. Everybody, man. Everybody come. Yes. Everybody's welcome. We definitely got to have you go as well when, when we do the entourage trip there because um, yeah, all our artists, our two artists, will definitely go together as one, one unit. Mm-hmm. Master Squad, Sinister Kane Speed, couple. I'll get it like a major thing, man, and they could set it up. The government could help you guys. Mm-hmm. Or I could do it on my own, but, you know, it would probably be cool that the government will help out to know that, you know, you guys are coming here. Almost, definitely. And we'll be you able know, to... Biden is here, you know, the ex-president, the ex-vice um, president. Uh, Biden, yes. Yeah. He's from the same place I'm from, Pennsylvania. He's from Scranton, I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. which is more of a, they call it an old city. Okay. A lot of America um, was established there as far as our current government goes. With the the Liberty Bell is still in Philadelphia. Um. Uh, Independence Mall, where the flag was made, you can see that. So it's a nice forest. Like if you want to come and tour, and and see actual uh, relics of old, yeah, old America. Yeah, you can come and see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Constitution Center was built recently. They, um, that's a tourist attraction in Philly. The Holocaust Museum in Philly, the Afro American Museum in Philly. It, it, 
you know, we have a lot of attractions. And they're doing a whole new remodeling. It's um, gentrification, of course. It's displacing a lot of um, long-standing residents, which is not good. But, um, you know, it's bringing businesses back to the city. And then you have your wealthy, affluent uh, residents coming in the city now. So it's bittersweet. It's a bittersweet time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. We had the Pope here like last year. I mean, a lot, a lot of major things. I think they're doing the draft in Philadelphia in a couple weeks. NFL draft. Oh well. Yeah. Football. Mhm. So that's kind of major. So every so often they do something really big. They been having a Bud, Bud um, Wiser Fest where Jay-Z and Beyonce, they've been here every year doing that on Labor Day with a lot of other big-name artists. It brings a lot of revenues into the city, and they're doing more movies here. Um, so that's a plus, too. But then the downside is the poor are always the downtrodden. Is that the expense of the poor? The taxes, they've added a sugar beverage tax now. And a percentage of that is supposed to go towards our schools. Well, it remains to be seen. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a lot of politics with that. You have the best sandwiches in Philadelphia? Oh, steaks, the best steaks in the nation. Philly <laughs> steaks. You can't get no better. And then Philly soft pretzels. Yes. What? Yeah, they're the you best. Testify to it America, North America. I can't speak about South and Central, but the best mm-hmm. places to get a cheesesteak or soft pretzel is Philly. It's still Philadelphia. I never had a soft pretzel. Wow. I never, well, tasted, never tasted that. I get you to come to Philly and take you to the best steak. Um, shops to go to and the best place to get the salt. I'm a vegetarian, you know. <laughs> oh, vegan. They they we do vegan. Yeah. Oh yeah, vegan. Yeah. All right. Vegan toppings on pretzels too. Mmm, <laughs> sounds good. And there's a large um there's a large vegan community in Philadelphia too. Mm. Yeah. When you come when you come here to the islands, Francine, you're gonna see a whole different lifestyle. Mm. You, you can basically go outside your house and find something to eat, you know. Mm. All kind of stuff. I would love that. I would love it. It's kind of a freedom that that you won't believe. That's why there's a lot of people coming here. Mm-hmm. Something that's unheard of. When you come, I'm sure you know. Like paradise. Mhm. Once you come here once, you never want to leave. So, mm-hmm. you'll, uh, I'll prove it to you. So you probably end up staying here when you guys come. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah, please come back, right? Well, you know, come back and get your stuff, and then come back and you know. <laughs> you like relocate yeah. at the South Queen? Yeah, <laughs> people don't. They make it their home once they come here the first time. 
It's a different different kind of vibe. You know, no, not too much cement. I think it's important, um, especially people who live in cities. Um, you have to, you know, like there's a certain time when the people that live in the city go down south to get away from that city hustle and bustle and city um, and city living. Like when you go to the southern states in 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 America. Oh my! It's a whole different feel, whole different atmosphere, whole different vibe altogether. And a lot of them, they grow their own everything. So yeah, it's it's a whole different kind of um, situation altogether. Mhm. Yeah, they got some really nice farms up there. I have to admit, when I was. Mhm. Many. Many places, you know, when we get fruits from America here, they're mm-hmm. imported, so they they lose a lot of taste and perhaps GMO. So, you know, the the privilege to actually right. pick, say, like a, a nectarine or apple mm-hmm. or blueberries or strawberries off the tree, man, that's, wow, that's amazing for somebody well, from here. Best peaches, Georgia, in, in, in North America, the best peaches. You ain't gonna get any better peaches anywhere Georgia. than Georgia. That's the state you yeah. go to peaches. Um oh, yeah. for like a lot of dairy farms. I think Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley, they're still classified mm-hmm. as top because um a lot of Amish own those farms yeah. and they strictly follow the you know, the laws, dairy law dietary laws. So they don't feed the cows anything and everything. Like, they're very strict. They only feed oh. them the grains and stuff and healthy, um, you know, grass and things. Okay, well. Yeah, it's just a matter of knowing, like, New Jersey still has the best, sweetest apples. And then Washington, New Jersey and Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just knowing where to get what. From like certain states are better known, mm. certain best known for certain foods. Mm-hmm. Florida for oranges, right? Oh yeah, Florida. That's any of the or- orchards, um, whether it's grapefruit, oranges. Yeah, Florida. Citrus. California too. California has some real good, and then vineyards as far as um, wines. Mm-hmm. California has some of the best vineyards. Then you have Martha, um, Martha Vineyards um, in the south. You know, there's certain, um, it's just a matter of knowing where to go to get what. And they actually have grapes growing on their, their, their property and they make it from uh, there? Yeah, like in the southern states, it's still very much, you know, rural. They still have the trees and the, the you know, the bushes grown with the fruits on them and everything. It's just when you go into, like, the metropolitan cities, that's where you see all the tall buildings and everything and a lot of concrete. But that's oh. not southern or rural part. Your southern or rural parts, they still have farms. Okay. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia. That's close to New York. Right? Yes, it is. Really? Yes, it is. It's just a few hours away. Maybe an hour and a half, two hours. 
East Coast. Mm-hmm. We're on the East Coast. And Maryland, Maryland is close to right? the tri-state. Uh, yep, the tri-state. That's um, Philadelphia or, yeah, Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. Jersey, mm-hmm. Delaware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and New York. And Delaware is small, but it's a state. I've been been up to the East Coast. I've been to Maryland. Okay. Never to Philadelphia though. Yeah. Passed through Maryland. I would have to say when the bus stopped because I had moved on a bus. Mm-hmm. Went from from Maryland to New Jersey, they stopped and there were just apple trees. You know, and mm-hmm. I just help myself, you know, and all the people are looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? And just picking the apples off the trees, man. And the sweetest I've ever had, really, for real. Mm-hmm. And I know that's probably not good, just growing on the side of the road. But in abundance, man, yeah, I got fruits like that. No, actually, no. Um, some of the rural parts is the, mm-hmm. the best areas to get your berries, your wild berries, your berries, and certain fruits. Um, and if it's an orchard, um, like New Jersey has a lot of um, apple orchards. Um, They're wild? There's in Philadelphia, too, and in Pennsylvania. But New Jersey's best known for its apple orchards. Oh, yeah, they have oh. a reputation. And they have a certain standard, you know. They keep the apples grown in a certain way. Hmm. Are these somebody owns them or they grow wild like on the land? No, orchards are owned. They're owned. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But, so, like, the, these things, because how I see it when I was moving around, I see a lot of wild apple trees and, you know, peaches and, you know, stuff like that just growing wild, man, that anybody could just pick them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I even, even south I saw avocado in Oakland just growing on the sidewalk, an avocado tree. Mm-hmm. But two, three out, yeah, avocados look very different than ours. You know, small oh. kind of. A lot of people tend to prefer um, the avocados from Central America, mm. South America that yeah. come in that are imported in into North America. And then they have all kinds of varieties here. Different you know, there's different types. Mm. But yeah, if, if it's organic, like that's that's my rule. If it's organic, then I'll consume it. But I try mm. not to anything that's not organic. Fruits um, that don't have seeds in them. Mm-mm. Right, GMO. Right, I don't. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the nutrition value from them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, we're going to have to wrap up tonight's show. And I'll share a little information on next week, which is the 18th of April. We're going to have, as the feature artist in the spotlight, Reginald Murray. He is the published author of a book entitled A Successful formula 
And he is also the author of an audio storytelling, which is entitled The Enchanted Snow Forest. We will be discussing his published works, and you don't want to miss out on next week. It's going to be an awesome show. I guarantee it. Thank, Thank you. you. It, was a, it was a good good show tonight. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Thank you to everyone for your input. You're welcome. You're welcome. Many blessings to all. Let's kind of just stay connected, stay positive. Let us not allow for the system to discourage us. We know everyone in government is not for the people, but for the ones that are, we want to support and rally behind them. And the ones that are not for the people, well, their time will soon pass. Let us not be discouraged. They will not succeed in doing what their agenda is. If it's against the people advancing, their agenda will fail. Power to the people. And everyone, remember, this is National Poetry Month. Write a poem. Recite a poem. Do open mics at open mic venues, celebrate the literary arts this month. Let people in the community see that the literary the literary arts still matters and poetry still matters. Peace and blessings, mm-hmm. everyone. And I'm going to close out tonight's show with a song by Stevie Wonder entitled As...
Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.